Hey, boomers! Welcome to... That was a high pitch. Hey, boomers. Hey, boomers! Welcome to your online guide to the secret world of Sega. The secret world of Sega. It's a little bit secret. Because yeah. it's all about Kinderbor, which they keep a secret now. <laughs> yeah, this is our special our special baby. Hi, welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast where we read Sonic the Comic, which is an old thing from the UK where they used to have Sonic differently to how they have Sonic now. And we like to note the differences. Um, an old thing. You're, it's not the most <laughs> enticing pitch, is it? It's an old thing where we talk about how different. It's a better thing. Okay. Hey, boomers. Welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, where we look into a treasure trove of lost, forgotten gems and chaos emeralds that is the way Sonic used to be back in the 90s which we present to you via the medium of reading through Sonic the Comic, the British comic that came out every fortnight. We are the Humes who think we're in charge. I am Dave Bulmer. My name is Chris McFeely. And this is issue number 73 of Sonic the Comic, cover dated March 15th, published March 2nd, 1996. Oh, the future. The, future. the past. <laughs> the future of the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the cover of this one is entirely given over to a big gimmick. It is a mm. wanted poster... Like an old West wanted poster, pinned up and everything, and peeling and crinkled, of Tails looking really cross, and it says "Wanted Tails." He's a bad boy. He's a bad boy, Tails, and he's wanted. Not like a bad boy, but he's he's a Mm. very naughty boy. That's you know that's the only way you could describe Tails. Naughty things, and it says "News Story" in a sort of badge kind of way with a sort of cowboy's font. This is a decidedly. Telling us it's going to be an extremely Cowboys-based issue. And it isn't really. No. Yeah, it, it overstates it somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat. I do like the bullet holes that they've yes. punched in them, though. Did you notice? Do, is it? Like, yeah, 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 it, yeah, is, it is. In fact, yeah. what is on the it's next what's page. on the inside that page. That is yeah. brilliant. It doesn't quite line up, <laughs> but it enough. nearly does. That's that's amazing. No, so yeah, the what he's referring to is yeah, there's a couple of bullet holes shot through the page, drawn on, can, as it were. You know, not yeah. not actual holes in the cover. No, no. Although mine is quite a worn copy, <laughs> and it's the best one to have a worn copy of because it's like it just looks like part of the design. Yeah, dip that in um, some coffee. Yeah, like it used and to do uh, in through it you can see what I did interpret this time, looking at it until Chris said that as just some like scribbly lines to depict the fact that it's shot through but no it's drawings of envelopes which there were a lot of on the inside on the, the first uh, the, page the first of page of the sonic strip yeah but we'll get to that later mm. uh, shining force yes Stop. a serious elf warning for this uh, new warning. series use uh. that pun in the next issue page last time i mean they've done the same thing here with the other call out on the cover here the graphic zone howdy doodles howdy doodles yeah once you've come up with a joke, you have to stick with it, stick apparently. With it. That's the other cowboy-themed element of the issue, actually, to be fair. I had forgotten that yeah. there were two separate cowboy-themed elements. Complete story, Sonic Spinball Wizard. Knuckles Master Emerald, another complete story. Three words that will make me read a comic. <laughs> Knuckles Master Emerald. Yeah. Knuckles Emerald Master. Um, Less so, but still would. Emerald. Knuckles, Knuckles Master. Master. Still would, although... Well, Emerald the Knuckles Master is an entirely different sort of person in an entirely different sort of magazine, but still would. I don't know, I'm pretty sure I read that Sonic fanfic. <laughs> hey boomers, or should I say partners? Yeah, he's really going for it. He's really going to pretend that this is a cowboy themed issue, isn't he? Yep. 
Welcome to this rootin' tootin' wild rooster crowing issue of STC. Pimp, hold on tight as we gallop into the contents of the UK's only official Sega comic. Let, let's just keep doing this. That blue beaver and hedgehog uh, <laughs> sure plays a mean complete story in Sonic's spinball wizard. And at that point, he gives up. Because I don't think the next sentence, Shining Force, a mega fab new series based on the successful Sega game debuts this issue, really flows in the accent, does it? No, not really, no. Mega fab. Mega fab. Hey, Sheriff, I sure am feeling mega fab this morning. I'm feeling fabaroony. It's cool. <laughs> totally radial. <laughs> I got my six-shooter, count them six. <laughs> also, you asked for him, and amazingly, mm. those humans who think they're in charge took notice for all of you who wrote in demanding more tales. The fabulous flying furry one is better. I like that one, the fabulous flying furry one. They didn't really stick to that one, did they? It's not really on the same page as cool blue one or red dreaded one. I like that, yeah. the fabulous flying furry one. Back with a price on his head in Fox on the Run. Knuckles does a bit of DIY as he attempts to create a new Master Emerald. For those boomers who want to know the secrets of Sega's energetic echidna, brace yourselves for the first ever, and last ever, <laughs> Knuckles special. On sale the 6th of April, 48 power-packed pages, brand new stories, compost pinups, and a revealing interview with the Red K himself, and a look in from Chaotix. Yeah, they give the date here as 6th of April, but it doesn't come out then. It's delayed in uh, some capacity. Not sure, right. and it doesn't seem to be a clear record of when it actually came out. So if you're wondering, like, obviously we're going to cover gonna, it, uh, yes, yeah. in the same way we've covered all the other specials, but we don't quite know when yet. But but imminently. So keep yes. your ears peeled for that. <laughs> yes, the Red K. What a strange thing to call Knuckles. Yeah, doesn't it just make you immediately think of you know the Special K logo? It, that's um, the Red K. Yes, that's exactly what it makes me think of. <laughs> He also reminds us the uh, comic art convention is coming up um, mm. the literal the day after this issue is published. Oh, well, there's no point talking about it here then. It's <laughs> too late to go get it organised now. And below that, we have the thing I thought that there was. There we go. Yeah. You were absolutely right. Hume error, STC 70. Apologies to everyone expecting to find the usual shiny pages inside this issue. The way he says this issue makes I know. it sound like it's this issue. but it, This issue, but it means STC 70. It was issue 7. is the issue that came printed out on matte paper. Bad nicks were about and managed to track down the printer's address. Thankfully, the contents <laughs> remained intact, even if they weren't displayed on STC's usual paper. That's fascinating that they apologised for that, because they didn't need to. Yes, they did. We Well, that's it, yeah. I was affronted. Yeah, we noticed we were affronted, but we aren't necessarily representative of normal people. I bet they got letters. Yeah, and I bet the letters were written on the shiniest paper that the pedants could find. <laughs> <laughs> so it had all smudged off by the time it got to the office. The Over in the charts, the charts mm -hmm. have answered a question for me. Oh, what's that? I now know what I got for Christmas 1995. Wait, what? I got Earthworm Jim 2 for the Mega Drive, oh, which has did. just yes. entered the charts at number 10. Do ba 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 do oh, oh, oh. oh ba ba ba. Remember? You know it rings a, a faint bell. I don't remember it clearly enough. Ooh, <laughs> 
I heard it round uh, my cousin John's house and again on the tape of that Christmas when I was putting that episode together. Ah, I was wondering why it was so fresh in your mind. <laughs> I, I didn't play Earthworm Jim 1, but uh, I mm. played it and I beat Earthworm Jim 2 and I enjoyed it. It was a tough one, as I recall. I did play Earthworm Jim 1 in this episode's Diary Zone. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I see what the old encyclopedia has oh. to say about Earthworm yes. Jim 2? Yes. Perhaps one while we're at it. Earthworm Jim. I'll read Earthworm Jim first. Okay. When an indestructible high-tech space cyber suit falls from the sky and lands neckhole first onto an innocent worm, <laughs> the worm suddenly evolves at light speed and becomes Earthworm Jim, an unwitting hero. When it turns out an evil queen, whose name is too long for this entry, wants the suit to become more beautiful than her imprisoned sister, Princess What's-Her-Name, Jim decides to head out and rescue the princess. Cue a hilariously bizarre adventure, taking in such sights as a boss battle with a snowman in hell, a bungee duel against a large snot monster, and an escort mission where the pink puppy you're guiding to safety can turn into a huge beast and eat you if he takes damage. Ooh, and the final stage is called Buttville. Earthworm Jim, if only it weren't for the fact of that one guy, what a perfect 90s video game. Ooh, the Earthworm Jim 2 section is double size. <laughs> Clearly the folks at Shiny Entertainment hadn't managed to get all the zaniness out of their systems with the first Earthworm Jim game because its sequel arrived 15 months later and the crazy factor was amplified significantly to boot. After Jim rescued Princess What's-Her-Name at the end of the first game, she eventually fell in love with him. Alas, this wasn't the happy ending the couple had hoped for because before they knew it, Jim's rival Psycrow had swooped in and kidnapped the princess. It's up to Jim to catch up with the pair and rescue his love for the second time before they reach the Lost Vegas system, where Psycrow can trick the princess into getting a shotgun wedding and can therefore become monarch of the galaxy. Ten brand new stages for Jim to make his way through in this sequel, each of which is memorable in its own bizarre way, whether it's using your gun to drill your way upwards through a level completely covered in soil. Yes, I remembered that one. That level is called Lorenzo's Soil. <laughs> using a giant marshmallow to save puppies who are being thrown out of a window. I remember that level because the background music... is what the young people today would recognise as the Spider-Man 2 pizza time music. <laughs> funiculi, funicula. <laughs> Oh, you mean the Super Mario Brothers movie adventure music? I see, yeah. That's how I learned that that was a real song that had lyrics, because mm. me granny passed through the room one time when I was playing <laughs> it, and she was able to... Not that my granny... She was not Italian or anything, folks, but she just knew the funiculi, funicula. Funiculi, funicula bit of the song. So she sang along with that, and I was like, what? what, what, what? Does that have words? <laughs> Or try to guide cows to their barns without them being abducted by UFOs. There's plenty of bizarre shenanigans involved here. As well as his usual gun and worm whip moves, this time Jim is accompanied by a little green ball of snot called... Snot. Who can grab onto similarly sticky green surfaces and help Jim swing across to out-of-reach areas. Earthworm Jim 2, of course, featuring one of the funniest sentences in gaming at the time, which was, Jim's now a blind cave salamander. Yeah, that I always remember that level, but you know what the one line I remember from that is? When you get to the end of that level, 
you have to do a trivia quiz. Oh. And it's not a trivia quiz about the game or anything. Yeah. One of the questions is, what is German for this ordinary sentence? Oh. I don't remember what the sentence was. I don't remember what the right answer was. But I can only remember what one of the wrong answers was. And the, the, the wrong answer was, which was hilarious to me, was... Uh, bitte, uh, wo ist dein Toiletten? <laughs> because you can easily interpret what that sentence means. <laughs> Fact, the manual lists the table of contents, followed by the contents of a table. Legs, surface, <laughs> wood glue, nails or screws. And then a table of continents. <laughs> but back to the charts. And of course, Sonic and Knuckles is there and it's gone up. It's gone up to number three. It's, it's nudging its little face up against Premier Manager and FIFA Soccer 96. Both of which, of course, are unshakable and unshiftable. So Sonic and Knuckles is in the number one spot this week. That's probably <laughs> reflecting the rise in copies sold for Christmas. Now that we're yes. two months in uh, after Christmas. Two months, that feels like it was about the length of time it took for Sonic and Knuckles to appear on the charts in the first place so we're probably seeing the the christmas seals now it why why are elspur and gallop doing that why are they giving us the charts ages after they happen that's not what the chart that's not what charts are i demand answers chris quite a lot of new titles in the charts actually this week lethal enforcers 2 on the mega cd wolf child in uh, number five on the master system like not a new game Right. But new for the top ten, I guess, is why it's listed yeah. as new, because that's previously yeah. released on the Amiga! <laughs> Wimbledon Tennis 2 at number ten on the Master System. Primal Rage in at number four on the Game Gear. Phantom 2010 at number eight on the Game Gear. Remember Phantom 2010? No. Should I? No, you wouldn't, because it didn't exist. It's called <laughs> Phantom 2040, and they've got it wrong. <laughs> oh, wait, What? This isn't a sequel to Phantom 2040. They've just got it wrong. Yes, they've got this wrong. <laughs> the game is Phantom 2040, which is based on the cartoon Phantom 2040, which was a... Uh-huh. Oh, what? Like the Phantom? The Phantom. In the Lee future. Fox, oh. the Phantom. Known to our generation as, you know, of Defenders, Defenders of the, of the Earth, Earth yes. fame. Yes. Yeah, it was a cartoon. It was set in 2040. Like, I didn't really watch the cartoon. When it, no. you know, it, was, uh, it was a mid-90s thing. Didn't like Who the art cares? style of it very much. They're, they're kind of lanky over long arms I remember thinking about it but uh, yeah there's a Game Gear game about it. I'm still not entirely clear on who the Phantom is except that I remember there was a they did a film of him didn't they and so they for did. a hot minute there you were supposed to know who he was and I, and I didn't well he's always <laughs> different that's the thing it's a generational title identity that's passed down from father to son so. yes alright but I mean I don't even know what is he from comics like I don't know who he yeah, is no, who... he's from the Phantom he's just yeah. his own thing that's what he is he's like the proto superhero from before Superman oh is he from before Superman mm-hmm, yeah oh, so he's no, so I don't need to be troubled about whether he's Marvel or DC then he's neither no uh, King Feature Syndicate oh. is a newspaper strip hero oh of course from the same guys that own Mandrake and Flash, Flash Gordon you... and everything and that, that's why Defenders, Defenders of, of the Earth, Earth is yeah. what it is because it's just a collection of superhero characters that King Feature Syndicate owns and they put mm. them together on a team mm. Defenders of the Earth Defenders <laughs> Out of the sky, his rockets ignite Jets into battle, flying faster than light Flash Gordon, lord of the jungle, the hero who stalks The beasts call him brother, the ghost to war Phantom, defenders of the earth Defenders, master of magic spells and illusion Enemies crumble in fear and confusion Defenders of the Earth Defenders His strength is a legend His skills conquer all Armed with his power We never will fall 
time to penetrate the lyrics of that uh, theme tune when you were a kid like there, there were some strange four become eight defending the earth the uh, the defenders of the earth minute brought that to you could by have been the very thing that made me not be interested in just blokes cartoons because that was on all the time and i didn't care about it yeah it wasn't a very good cartoon no but i watched it every single time it was on boredly <laughs> i mean those are some of the singular most boring just blokes types characters you could have made a cartoon out of mm. do, do you know what it might have done though it might mm. have been the thing that engendered in me my love of freeze and ice-based villains oh. which i have talked about previously on the show before you have because um rather than make you know ming the merciless uh, an updated yellow peril villain like he was back in the day they decided to make him a big green-skinned elf alien villain type thing instead and his whole thing was that like uh, Mongo his home world was like an ice world so he had a legion Mongo. of ice uh, well that's what it was called originally you know they didn't they didn't change that so close and yet so, so far, far away know, right? um <laughs> but he had a legion of ice like his foot soldiers his generic mass-produced mook that i'm sure you must have been able to buy a single action figure of but could have yeah. bought many they were like four armed geometric like ice robots and they might be just called ice warriors or something and i'm really mixing my comparisons here but it's like krang had rock soldiers yeah. And then the rock soldiers had General Trag, who was their boss, you know. Yes. Ming had Garax <laughs> and he was the leader of the Ice Warriors and he had a different design. And they're just Garax There's lots of hard guttural syllables in that. And he was made of ice and his mouth glowed when he talked like a transformer. I'll tell you what, they did do one thing that they were setting out to do with that cartoon, which is that I am now a middle-aged man who is genuinely confused by the idea of a non-green Ming the Merciless. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's true. That uh, That is in my mind. I thought you were going to say I'm now a middle-aged man who knows who Mandrake the Magician is. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> because that would not have happened. Like, the Phantom at least got a film, and Flash <laughs> Gordon has enough pop culture penetration that you know what it is. And mm. Obviously, he had a film too. I don't know why I went for the pop culture thing. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, you only know what Mandrake is because of that cartoon. Yeah, and on any occasion when you ever hear mention of him, you have to go, Mandrake! <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. That's the sum total of your interaction with knowing yeah. about Mandrake. <laughs> Flipping. Uh, We've got to get off this control space. Yes, uh, yes. But, you know, it hasn't been... It's, I feel like it's been a minute since we talked about a rubbish cartoon yeah, from our childhoods. So. And I promise I have no further information but... There is a new Power Rangers the movie Game Gear game in the chart, and I will not say any Power Rangers things. <laughs> you all know. Right, we've put it off long enough, shall we? Yeah. Former. Spinball Wizard, written by Mark Miller, <laughs> art by Keith Page, letters by Ellie DeVille. Hoping to earn some fans by doing something brave and dangerous, Tails goes looking for trouble in the Casino Night Zone and winds up captured and strapped into Robotnik's deadly new Spinball Murder Machine. Sonic races to his buddy's rescue, but the Spinball Machine proves to be a challenge, and it's Tails who saves the day by breaking free of his bonds and steering the giant crushing Spinball into the machine's power generator, blowing it up. 
we're both aware that we're not going to have very much no. to tease out of this. Like that skunk thing from last issue, mm. even more so, in fact, than mm-hmm. that one from last issue, this is something that's been pulled out the back of the cabinet it fell behind and <laughs> not even handed over to somebody like Mike Hadley. This has been dashed off very quickly. The art in this is by Keith Page, who is the Sparkster artist. Oh! Yeah, Wait, I, no, it isn't. I know. It's like... What? This is just traced Richard Elson panels. And Adventures Tales models, yes. It, really? Keith Page is the... Yeah, I know. The Sparkster artist? Yeah. That amazing Sparkster... It's just this looks nothing like the same... Like, even down to the fact that he, you know, used a very thin pen all the time, and this is a, a big, thick brush pen by the looks of things. But it is so visibly... Just poses copied directly mm. from Richard Elson panels that we recognise multiples yeah. of from throughout it. Particularly that one where he's being thrown against the against bumper in the, the bumper, spinball yes. machine. Or that shot where he's looking out over the spinball machine on the opposite page. Like yes. these are all and you know, this isn't even this isn't even up to date, Richard Elson are like this is stuff <laughs> that's being pulled from Girl Trouble, Pirates of the Mystic Cave, Sonic Terminator era stuff, Casino Night. I mean, even the rendering of the Casino Night is clearly referenced on Richard Elson's version of it. No. Oh, yeah. Casino Night 2 part yeah, of the old robotic face in the background. Yes, but it's not... I won't call it bad art or anything. No, it it's... tells the story perfectly clearly. Yeah. It just feels so like it's not from STC, like it's from mm. a yearbook or something. Yeah. Because of the brown Adventures model tales walking around. That's it, yeah. This feels like a tie-in comic that, you know, came with a toy or something. Like, it begins with... Tails finding the caravan in disarray, the circus mm. caravan in disarray, and he asks, what's happened? A surprise attack by Dr. Robotnik? And Sonic's like, no, just this week's fan mail. And it's huge sacks of mail lying in piles in disarray everywhere. Do you know, I have a critique there, because mm. the way he says, like, what's happened? A surprise attack by Robotnik? Clearly, it's supposed to look like an absolute bombsite. Yeah. But it looks only and exclusively like lots of fan mail has arrived. Like, that's what it looks... They're, they're quite yep. neatly put away in sacks. I suppose some of them have toppled out, but, like, it's not that bad, is it? It's not a wreck in there. And, but this It's like, this story just should not... And never mind the <laughs> fact that, yes, okay, it does just feel like it is from a free comic or a special or something, but it shouldn't have seen print now. Not just because it's conceptually outdated, like, it's full of the old Miller ticks. Like, yes. uh, Sonic gets his power sneakers out of a box where he has lots of power, Loads of sneakers, power sneakers and has, yeah. the, has a bird go, wow, Sonic's unbeatable in his power sneakers. Yeah. Or where he goes, go, 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 as he runs along, and he's drinking a cola and eating a burger. Yeah. Yeah. And when Tails says, maybe I'll get a few fans if I clean up the Casino Night Zone, there's this bird flying alongside him that goes, more like a few broken bones, you dweeb. <laughs> and it's this just rude so, bird. This sass bastard. It's so first five <laughs> issues. Yeah, that it's is exactly what it is. Funny, like. But even beyond that, yeah. it doesn't make sense now. <laughs> they can't get sacks of fan mail to their secret caravan on the run. <laughs> didn't even think of that they're undercover and they're getting sacks and fan mail yeah, yeah. it just doesn't work anymore <laughs> i wonder oh, if yeah. it was written to be a not an adaptation of but let's say a tie-in to the release of the sonic spinball game which yeah. they presumably would have known about in in early 93 around the time they were getting mark miller to dash these off yes it doesn't it doesn't actually have a lot in common with that game but it's all based on him no, be, going on yeah, a big pinball table. the fact that he's in a pinball thing and it's called a spinball thing. They would have been able to rely on that at least basically being what happens in the game, wouldn't they? Yeah, so yeah I think it probably was. Um, That's it. 
I've got a couple of things. You do? Good for you. <laughs> well, not very much. Uh, like the fact that when he opens his box of power sneakers, what Sonic is doing there is he's putting power sneakers on while wearing power while sneakers. While wearing them already. That's why it doesn't make sense. He's got power <sighs> sneakers. And, and we don't want to see him without his power sneakers under any circumstances. Oh, no, so I'm glad he has. You know, it's funny. I don't think it's true anymore. But back in the day, yeah. when I was young and silly, <laughs> I wondered if this had even been drawn back then. And that mm. they'd maybe edited the art. <laughs> I mean, look at the incorporation of the caravan. Look at that first page where Tails is just sort of hovering in the doorway. Yes, and it is a, that's not what a caravan looks like on the inside. It looks like a little house they're in. A little empty room, yeah. yeah. It did make me wonder, you know, if somebody had to go back and edit the art in some capacity to make... Like, even that, mm. uh, that shot of the spinball murder machine, like... Yeah. Robotnik's face yes, it, certainly looks like it could have been redrawn in or something. Yeah, when it's because he's got his thin pen out again for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think it is now. No, I don't think it is, no, but I did at the time. But yeah. Incidentally, page two, bottom left, mm-hmm. nose and nose. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. More than ever before. Yes. Yes. That's Robotnik's news we're talking about there, yes. folks. I quite liked the bit where Sonic is barreling towards some troopers and one of them goes, I just wish it didn't hurt so much. Quite like that. You know, but uh, Miller didn't intend for these to be like trooper badniks. He no, was obviously it writing just says it as badniks, yeah. badniks, you know, so it's, yeah. Yeah, that's another touch that they've done here to uh, update it for modern sensibilities. <laughs> Sonic gets battered about the uh, pinball table and is sitting there in a daze, and I, I quite liked that Tails says it looks like Sonic's too groggy to take care of this. I like to use the word groggy. This is it. It's just little bits that's of... All you, that's what you've got? Yeah. He uses the word groggy? Here's what I've got. This is so beneath modern STC. It truly is. That as I was reading it, I felt myself sort of shift down a level and judge it on that level, where mm-hmm. it actually fared relatively well as a bit of old-fashioned Sonic and Tails mucking about fun of the sort I used to like. It is nice. That's what I will say about it. It is nice to have a Sonic and Tails story again. In an issue where Tails is getting his own strip again. It's yes. quite, it's It's got to be the most Tails-heavy issue since... Hmm... Possibly ever, in that he's in two strips. And it's full of little Britishy gags and words like groggy. And the fact that there are multiple little random animal buddies. There's a little owl postman. There's this little sass bastard bird. <laughs> uh, some, it, this felt nostalgic and it felt like the kind of old Sonic story I used to like at the start. But it, yes, but it, I, I had to do that gear shift. Because it does not fit in present STC. Part of it is that there's a two-step gear shift, I think. Mm-hmm. Because you've got that aspect of it. And then you've got the fact that the art is just traced Richard Elson panels. Yeah. Pasted together. That's a whole other hurdle. You know, it's not just that they pulled out an old script that doesn't fit anymore. Because if you can adapt your thinking to that, okay. And it's that's much easier for us to do as adults mm. to look at it as a piece of work than it would have been as kids. Yeah. But the art is kind of inexcusable. Not that it's the first time by a long shot that we've had strips that are that. Oh, sure. I mean, we've definitely had examples of where people were referencing Elson art before, but it's like every panel almost is just a copied Richard Elson panel. And we have commented before on strips that were quite heavy with copied Richard Elson panels, but that was a while ago. And um, now we Nothing we're... ever on this level. No, and we're post-Brotherhood of Metallic's Chaotix Returns now. Like, it's, it's really weird to see it happening now. 
It's weird, isn't it? And and it must have been because there was a, a quick deadline because it's this is be. such a good artist. Yeah. And I think he's, like I say, again, the actual storytelling, the layouts, when you do get one of the original little critter characters drawn, that's always nice and that little bird is reminiscent of the Sparkster strip. Yeah. When he leans in and says, he's been taken hostage in the Casino Night Zone. That's a Sparkstery looking bit. I'm very interested to know what happened here. Because it's fine. It's fine. For what it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way the strip ends in particular, where they go back, back at the Rebels circus wagon, the postman arrives. You know? <laughs> and Tails gets a letter, you know. Uh, so that's, that, sorry, probably didn't explain that properly, but it's like, back at the start, there's this fan mail deluge, and there's no fan mail for him. Yeah. Not one pixel brain. The people of Mobius only write letters to their number one hero. So Tails goes off looking for trouble to try and prove himself a hard dude. <laughs> and then the letter arrives on the final page, but it turns out to be a fine for his overdue library books, which obviously, as an outlaw on the run, he is checking out under his own name with a given address. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then Sonic takes up the final panel as Tails huffs off in the background and goes, what did you expect? There's only room for one super cool hero on Mobius. So even within the... And I don't love that. Yeah. I don't love that for Tails now. Yeah. But even within the context of the strip, I don't love it because he did save the day. Yeah. And it's like they undercut his achievement with that gag at the end there. It's a nice little gag and it's a very early STC Mark Miller era Sonic gag. Yes. But I felt really sad for him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he just wants fan mail and nobody likes him. And that's how the strip... Hey, doesn't, it doesn't turn around. That's how the strip begins and that's how the strip ends. <laughs> yep. That's it. Oh. But it's like, don't worry. I mean, I want to say to him, like, don't worry, Tails. You're about to get a, a new run of strips starting in the back end of this issue where writers will finally treat you as your own man with yeah. your own story that's not about yeah. you faking things and stumbling into cases of mistaken identities, finally. Don't worry, Tails. This strip kind of doesn't count. <laughs> as a that's Sonic it. Strip. It doesn't count. <laughs> and this is the thing. This is the point I made last issue. For remember you all boomers, <laughs> this was the very first issue of STC. Oh, yes that came out after I decided to stop getting it. Yeah. So when I picked this up in the shop, because obviously I wasn't going to go cold turkey, I wanted to see what was in it, <laughs> and flip through this, mm. it was nothing but validating my decision. You must have felt as if the, the comic had ended and now they were just still in print for some reason. Basically, I mean, that's it. You know, uh, they had done the Brotherhood of Metallics story, mm. the big time travel story that took everything back to the beginning and wrapped up the Metallics plot that had functionally been running for over 50 issues. And that was it. Sonic mm. was over. They'd ended everything the comic had been doing, <laughs> as far as I could see. And then this, and then I was like, well, I wonder what they would do next. And then this was the answer. And mm. I was like, oh, right. Well, I guess I made the right decision then. Mm. You know? Yeah. But don't worry, listeners. There's some really good stories that are going to come up. They genuinely are. But it does not leave us much to say about this strip no. in this issue. Graphic Zone! <laughs> Howdy doodles! Yep, I tell you what. Howdy doodles. Now I know, see, you're just doing the Sheriff of Nottingham from Big oh, Robin Hood. If only I could do that voice, that'd be so good. Pat Buttram. That's all I would spend the rest of my life doing. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, cowboy themed drawings. Show STC what you can do with imagination and a sheet of paper. It's gold in them, yeah, here's tell you what. You gotta mix up and get down and up again, you know, prospect voice. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we, we've got two pages here <laughs> of. Uh, this waveform is a disaster. We've got two pages here of. 
Cowboys and thank God, just Cowboys based. <laughs> yes, quite right. <laughs> Sonic fan art here from the Boomers. It's a bit like that one where they were. It was so boring, I can't even remember what it was. You know, there was a previous <laughs> graphic zone where it was just, here's Sonic and they're all surfing or whatever. Because mm. that's just all it is. It's just Sonic characters as cowboys and then a picture of Amy that has nothing to do with the theme. The ones that are to do with the theme, you've got Sonic shooting two guns into the air and saying, yeah, uh, it's a one yeah, e Not yeah, no. just yeah. Yeah, yeah just yeah. Yeah, and he's having a little jump, and that is from Sam Lancashire in Newton, Derbyshire. We've got, uh, I quite like the uh, the Jason Williams in London yes. one. Yes. Sheriff Sonic. It's quite an involved, uh, same exact gimmick. It, you know, he was yeah, the sheriff in the sheriff first one, he's the sheriff now, but something about it, just the fact that he's, well, he's got... he's in the old bow-legged stance. That's it. And he's got the hands yeah. down and open by the sides, getting ready to fill his hands. Yeah, he's got a grouchy little face, and he's got a bit of, you know, whatever it is. A, what do they chew on? Is it either a bit of straw or a stick? The star on his boot, all of that on his, but it's his normal power sneaker, all of that. That's lovely, and a and a coloured in background. Stephen Chandler's done a rather threatening one, and mm. he just below that. Come yeah. on, punk, make my day. It's a cowboy Sonic, but he's got a huge bandolier wrapped around yeah, him, covered in bullets. And Stephen has come up against the difficulties of Sonic Anatomy, mm. where he's had to make the uh, bandolier go over one of the spikes, which means it has to come up and curve around and loop around halfway around the back of his head. <laughs> but he's got these praying hands coming in from off screen, going gulp. Yes, someone's about to meet a messy end. I think this has been. Re- this seems to me like it might have been referenced off of some uh, Ferran Rodriguez earlier. Art, some of that yes. early style guide looking art. There's a Japanese style guide kind of feel to that. Absolutely, there is, yeah. Um, and then we've got from Darren Turner in Woodhouse, Nottinghamshire. It's Robotnik, and he's dressed as the sheriff this time. Well, he hasn't got the hat, but he's no, got he the doesn't spurs. have it. He's got the spurs. So he's just a cowboy. He's got spurs and guns. And the gun belt. Yes. Yeah, that's all it is. The, the rest of him's the same. But uh, And he's just in a stable, and just he's just looking around, but they have captioned this, Who Stole My Horse? Yeah. Um, there's nothing to say that that's what he's thinking about in the comic. What he has got is massive oven glove style gloves on. His normal gloves. He looks gloves quite he alarmed. Yes, he does. I could definitely believe that somebody had stolen his horse. Oh, thousand percent. Look at his face. I'll tell you what he looks exactly like. Here's what he looks like. His he- He's looking off to the side. He's got his arms way up in the air. He's got his legs out to the sides. He's got his head looking off to one side. So far... That it's plausible that there would be another of his head looking the other way. This is what it looks like is when you get hurt in the second Ninja Turtles LCD game. <laughs> the one where they go, Yow! When they get hit and their head swings around and their arms flicker up. And did you ever have that one? Did you ever have the Splinter Speaks, the second Turtles LCD game? No. It was a horror show. Did you have the first one? No. Okay, so it was like a it was just an LCD game based on that bit in the NES game and the other formats that came out on, where, you know, you're swimming under the water and there are these spinning Ah, blades. yes, yes. But the second one, though, they suddenly blew it up to make it all big cartoony drawings to make it, I guess, more reminiscent of the cartoon. So but so now you fill the screen, whichever turtle you are, and you can just, like, bring your hands up and down on the left and right as baddies just lean in. But the gimmick was that now it could talk. But the way it could talk was that just whoever, some guy who made the game, just decided to scream at the top of his lungs all of the things the turtles had to say. So when you turn it on, it goes like, Cowabunga! Yeah! <laughs> 
It was the scariest thing I'd ever heard. I used to have to... It was the only thing that I used to take the batteries out of between uses because I was too scared that it could just come on one day and that would be... My heart would simply explode out of my chest and I would be dead. So that's what Robotnik looks that's like. That's what Robotnik is, looks is like. when they got injured in that. Well, it's a deep cut, but... <laughs> but it might just work. <laughs> Then the last picture of the two pages is uh, Tails in Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, and it's captioned Tails Eastwood. And he's got yeah. two guns in the same way that he has two tails. Uh, no, 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 he doesn't have two guns coming out of his arse. No, that's what that's made it sound like. <laughs> he's just holding two guns. He's kind of a faint beige brown sort of color here so i know. think he looks very sweet he's got a great big muzzly face it's a, it's bit a nice sweet off. little tails yes uh, that's from robert amy in rushton hertfordshire <gasps> and speaking of amy hey, hey. <laughs> yes this is the one that we've deferred <laughs> we've skipped over over back on the first page yes cheryl deeming from harrogate in south yorkshire has done this mm. and it's a very nice drawing oh, yeah. of a badass amy yeah She's in uh, uh, in jeans and a shirt and sneakers, and she's got a, what seems to be a leather jacket with spikes on the shoulders, yes. and is holding what appears to be a whip. Uh, I say appears to be because the the whip itself is mostly off page, yes. but she's holding the handle, and uh, and the, they've captioned it: "Amy wears the trousers." Oh yes, uh, this is one of those ones, is it not, where you wonder what this is based on? Yes. Because that jacket with those spikes, like what? What are we looking at? It, it's a, it's a young child, or you know, all children are young. It's a child age child, <laughs> <laughs> but drawing, I don't know, is one of their defining features. Yeah. Yes, something about the sneakers with the arrows on the tongue pointing down. Something about the specifics of the jacket and the two little gold buttony bits on the lapels. It, it looks copied to me, and I feel as if I should know from what. Yeah, at least the head is. The head looks like it's been taken from Richard Elson art as well. And an early Richard Elson. That's like a Girl Trouble era Amy. Cheryl, if you are deeming it worthwhile to write into yeah. us, uh, then please do. We want to know. But it's not even remotely cowboy themed is the thing. Well, there's a whip. That's not That's cow cowboy themed. I mean, a whip, yeah, it is. That's, well, it's Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's theme Indiana Jones. Do you even really think of cowboy? Like, um, oh, oh, unless it's maybe supposed to be a lasso. Uh, last, you're right, that's a, what I was thinking of. Yeah. The thing is, it's difficult to see because all we can see is her holding the handle. Don't know, I'd be interested. It's so familiar, I should know what this jacket is from. Unless I am simply, once again, It's just a jacket with spikes on the shoulders. It could be Of anything. the many leather jackets with spikes on the shoulders from the Super Mario Brothers movie. That could yeah, be that's what... That's what I was about to say. Yeah. There are a lot of jackets like that in the Mario uh, Brothers uh, movie. Uh, which I watched just last night with some pals. Uh, so that could be forefront in my mind. Find better ways <laughs> to spend your time, man. No. New Master Emerald. Not the new Master mm. Emerald. Just, just new, new Master, Master Emerald. Emerald. Yeah. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin, letters by Ella Fell. Knuckles transfers the Emerald power out of the severed head of Dr. Zachary's robot and into his replacement Master Emerald. But in the process, the robot reactivates and attacks him with I-beams. Knuckles dodges long enough for the transfer to deplete the robot's power. Whereupon, it transpires that the bot is actually a conscious being that Zachary reprogrammed to serve him. 
With the power drain having now removed Zachary's influence over the robot, Knuckles decides to keep it around in hopes that it can help him to learn about the lost Echidna race. Ooh, this is a nice little palette cleanser after that Sonic strip. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Just the first panel. Gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. A lovely Nigel Dobbin Knuckles. I don't know how he got the hang of all of those shapes so fast, but he did. Perhaps he worked on a Wombles comic previous to this. <laughs> um, the Chaos Emeralds floating there. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I mean, not looking quite as delicious as in previous issues. I don't want to suck on these ones. He hasn't sprinkled them with quite as much sugar as he did before, that's why. They look chewier. More <laughs> chewy than lickable this well, time around. It, the thing is, they've been out of the packet for a few issues now. Uh, yeah. Of course, I don't mind, so I'll, uh, I'll happily... <laughs> 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 I can make a pack last several episodes. I guess the one thing that I had that I thought was... So, I mean, it's just, yeah, Knuckles dodges the I-beams, mm-hmm. hides behind a wall... And then burrows through the ground to get close because he, he's not fast enough to dodge the beams. <laughs> There's never a super fast hedgehog around when you need one. Mm-hmm. Chuckle, chuckle. Sensible chuckle. <laughs> and so he burrows through the earth and then bursts out of the cave wall. Another great shot. A lot, lot of good bits of Knuckles bursting out of shit in Dobbin mm. strips so far. Something that I love about this that we're still technically in the early days of Knuckles. And I think that, mm. like, as time has gone on, Sega have lost track of or stopped caring about what Knuckles is for. Well, it's different. No, yeah, I mean, it's very hard for us as old people yes. to sometimes accept and remember. As members of the elderly. That two years after this comic came out, they answered the question of what happened to the Echidnas. Yes. And then that was it. Yes. And then, um, so now all they can have Knuckles do is... Act as if he literally just sits on the steps of that giant <laughs> open-air altar and never go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Whereas, you know, before, this was the character, this question mm. that hung over the character. And obviously, you know, Archie had its own answer to the question that... <sighs> Let's see, diplomatic. Um, <laughs> consumed its portrayal of him. And the stories that it told about him. Uh-huh. And STC didn't let it do that. The mystery is there. It, certainly it's what motivates Knuckles' decision at the end of this. And yes. indeed, the return of Anakidna is what has brought us to the situation that we are in. But, it, you know, it wasn't the... Um, it did not consume the stories in the way that yes. Enders' as many ages of Echidna's stories did. But on top of that as well, there's just the physical aspect of, like... These days, Knuckles is sort of a guy Sonic knows sometimes. And here we are in a strip where he's like, well, I'm going to dig through the floor, I'm going to pop out of the wall, I'm going to punch a thing, I'm going to glide. All of the Knuckles stuff, the stuff Knuckles does, uh, surrounding the mystery that Knuckles' life revolves around. He really is a, a sort of just a dangling appendage on modern Sonic. And yet, here he is doing all the Knuckles stuff, and it's lovely to see, I think. Well, again, not to be very old man about it, but mm. that's just symptomatic of where Sonic, as a franchise, mm-hmm. and a cast of characters wind up going. In the years after ours, you know, it's like we, we talked about before how the best balance for Sonic stories is Sonic and Tails. Yeah. And then special bonus character Knuckles. Yeah. And do you know what, Dave? Mm-hmm. They've made a film of that. I know. And it's I'm, coming out real I'm, soon. I'm, I'm quite excited. And I hope that at some point in it, Knuckles does some digging. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'll glide. Because no. that seems unfeasible in a live action yeah. scenario. Yeah, but I'll forgive that. I do hope Fine. he does some digging, yes. It'd be nice. Some digging, rather than just punch. Because that's what he is now. He's just a 
punch man. He's just the punch man, yeah. And and Sonic's got some punch men. I mean, Knuckles is the preeminent punch man, to be He's fair. He's the main punch man, of course. But there's Mighty as well. Well, no, I see, well, Mighty is only allowed to be featured in classic oh, Sonic right? media. Yeah, Mighty right? isn't allowed to be in modern Sonic scenario stuff, which is why he isn't in the IDW comics. That's weird, because... It's extremely weird. And stupid and dumb and smelly that they make that distinction between the two eras. Because it means, um, like, I don't think Knack the Weasel and Bark and Bean are allowed to be in modern stuff. They're classic characters. It's, I, it's, I wonder why they made that decision. Because the thing is, Sonic Heroes is a modern Sonic game. And the Chaotix are in that. Oh, but Mighty yeah, well, isn't. No, the, the chaos, that's it. No, ah, SPO he... Vector and Charmy are modern characters. Mm. They are not allowed. They're not allowed to be in classic stuff. They, they've split up the chaos. It's it's, rid- it's in. Mm, it's well. To be fair, the games did that already. That's not modern Sonic Media's fault. The games and and don't forget that obviously in the games the chaotix as a concept, was not actually a thing. Mm. They were just a bunch of dudes who were there in some place at the same time. And Mighty was from the arcade game, so he was added to some stuff. Yeah. But still, he's a chaotix, damn it, and I want him to be able to hang out with them. The sheer decision to delineate it into two separate eras, as if they are two separate dimensions and not just the same group of characters moving through their lives. Yeah. Sega have made many stupid decisions in the way that they depict Sonic the Hedgehog in their games and media over the years, but that is my number one with a frigging bullet. Right now. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the future brings. There is one thing that they could do that would make that all right with me. That it would make that would make me a bit more comfortable with the idea of classic Sonic being a separate delineated thing. What's that? Which is if they Constantly making new ones. Used it. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Give me another Sonic Mania and keep making them. And I'll buy them all. And then the kids who like Bond Sonic, they can have theirs, and I'll have those. And it But no, we just don't get them and it means everything's locked off so they don't use them in the new stuff either. Alright, okay. There's your, that's the decision, apparently. Well, I don't know. The people in charge will die one day, and then maybe that's smarter true. people will take over, and that's just what, as Sonic fans, old Sonic fans, we have to wait for. Yes. Anyway, back to this. <laughs> so the one thing that did sort of jump out at me was how quick Knuckles was to actually save the robot. Yeah. He's grappled with its head a bit, but he's been thrown, and it's, boom, its eye is glowing and staring down at him, but then it goes, Energy level 6%, too low to generate power beam. Energy level critical. This unit will terminate in approximately 30 seconds. And then Knuckles is like, No, I can't let that happen. And I'm like, You'd be alright if you let it happen. I oh, see. I thought that that was because something would go wrong with the power transfer to the emerald. Uh, then, well, no, because he just rips the cable off. He just rips the cable off. Yeah, yeah. no, he's saving the life he's just discovered this robot has. He's of. leaving it with a little spark of power left in its systems. Yeah, only a tiny spark. He's rationing his life force. Presumably not emerald power. Like, he's, he's sucked the emerald power out of it, and now it's just left with its original... Robot power, right. And it's presumably pulled some of that robot power out as well. Now, that being said, though, surely the Echidnas use the Chaos Emeralds to power everything, so it will be Chaos Emerald power. That's probably why the robot was able to, to sort of drain its power when you yeah. think about it, yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had some Chaos Emeralds? If, if, if we uncovered some Chaos Emeralds and then just had unlimited power on Earth, that'd be lovely. Ah, Chris <laughs> has got some. All right, problem solved. Uncovered. There goes the energy crisis. Sorted. Chris was uh, just holding up his Lego Chaos Emeralds there. Yeah! Thanks, Viv. <laughs> All my needs are solved, anyway. Um, <laughs> but then, I, I think the reason that he saves it is... Well, well, it's either because he's shocked to discover that it is a conscious being, so he's saving it because yeah. it's a conscious being, or that, you know, it is 
an echidna creation, so he wants to keep it around. But mm. it's purely just because he goes, I can't let that happen! And yeah. I'm like, wow, sudden turnaround there, Nux. You know? And yes, it, it resolves that he's going to chat to this thing and see yeah. what it can tell him about the echidnas. Knuckles wants to know how the robot wind up with Dr. Zachary, and the robot mm. explains, Zachary reprogrammed me to serve only him. The energy drain has now removed his interference. <laughs> That's lucky. But, yeah, what, what a handy thing that that would happen. I'm not sure why or yeah. how that would have, you know, I guess the uh, I guess the system that Zachary put his controlling subroutine into is one of the ones that is now not running, now that the robot is operating on minimum power requirements. I tell you what it'll be. It'll be like when you unplug your VCR and next time you plug it in again, the, the clock's reset. <laughs> his battery's run down, so he's reset. That'll do. Knuckles is going to use the equipment in the Emerald Chamber to examine its memory banks because perhaps it holds some clue to where my people are. It's really only registering with me now that the decision that's been made, of course, is so as not to let this be answered. Because obviously Kitching, Kitching seems to feel like, and I don't want to, you know, put words in his mouth or anything or presume his intentions, but it feels like he maybe realizes it's it's not really his business to answer this question. You know, he <laughs> yeah. might have some idea about what's happened, yeah. but he's aware of the possibility that future stories, official stories, will actually probably address it, which they did in two yes. years' time. I, I suspect that is what's happening. I think he knows that because that's the whole deal with Knuckles, they'll probably get round to it, so let's set some groundwork, but never actually say what it is. So, the, the crafty narrative trick to keep this in the air, keep this ball up in the air without ever actually answering it, keeping the mystery ever present, is simply that the room's been trashed <laughs> in the course of the energy beam fight. So he's going to have to fix all the machines and everything before he can do that. Yep, he's got to do a load of tidying up before he can talk to anybody. Yeah. And then he probably just never gets around to it. Just never, yeah. <laughs> Next issue, the Echidna and the Pirates. That's right, we learned in the letters page last issue, didn't we, that Captain Plunder's coming back. Yes! Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. See, this was a nice little simple one that I think I appreciated more now after uh, talking it out than uh, I did just on reading it, even though I did appreciate it while reading it. But to, I think, to be honest, when I read it, I was just a little too consumed with the fact that, thank God, this isn't that Sonic again. The equality will continue then, for on the facing page of the last strip, we've got an ad for the aforementioned Knuckles Knockout Special, yeah. showcasing Sega's energetic, and then big red letters, exclamation mark, Echidna! Echidna! On sale the 6th of April 1996, we've already assessed that, for £2.10. Pennies. That's right. Ten of the Queen's pants. Yeah, you'd have to wander That's... up and down outside the school and on the village green for a while. Now, I did buy this. Yes. Even though I had stopped buying STC, I did buy this because as a standalone special, I felt that I could. Sure. Didn't feel like I'd missed anything. But obviously, I had a pound or two go and spare. Now, <laughs> the, the comic I was I dropped it to buy instead had been cancelled, so... Knuckle down to it, order a copy at your news agents now. And it's a Carl Flint, it's just the cover of the special, as yeah. we'll see it. It's a Carl Flint picture of Knuckles smashing through the page. And that's the top half of the page. Yes, it's a top and bottom, or we haven't seen one of those in a while. No, we haven't. The bottom and half. It's not a Sabutio ad on the bottom half. No, it's just, <laughs> it's just yellow, and it says mm. in black text, bit sort of scratchy handwritten looking, it says, be in bed by 8pm, and that is crossed out with a big red cross. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever could it 
being referenced to? Yes. I don't know. Well, you'll find out when you turn the page. We're going to have to explain this one, aren't we? Yes. So the centre pages of the issue, rather than a crappy pin-up this time, we've got the Photo Zone, Mm. which we've seen before. This is boomers sending in photos of themselves. It's a two-page spread, but we'll come back to the photos, for the photos only take up one and a half of the pages. Mm. And in the bottom half of the right page, in the same position as where the Be In Bed By 8pm ad was on the previous page, when you turn the page, it turns out it's an ad... For Mars bars. Well, or or specifically, specifically Mars eggs. Yes, Mars Cadbury's cream eggs. <laughs> because this is from an odd period <laughs> in Mars advertising history. <laughs> when they had previously enjoyed the slogan, mm. a Mars a day helps you work, rest, rest and play. Life is full of fun if you know how to enjoy it. And a Mars bar helps you enjoy life even more. You see, Mars gives you energy while you work, nourishes you while you relax, keeps you going while you play. A Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. Because glucose and sugar, milk and chocolate are all in Mars. Yes, a Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. And that's still famous. Which is a, I realise now in the year 2021, a deeply irresponsible advertising strategy. To actually suggest you eat a Mars bar every day. Every single day. Well, and there you go. That's why they stopped using That's it. That's why they stopped But it's it. lingered. Everyone in oh, yeah. the UK knows that slogan. It's like Beans Means Heinz. Weigh it up. What else gives you such value? Mars. With all the goodness of milk, glucose, sugar, and thick, thick chocolate. Big bar enjoyment and big bar value. Weigh it up. A Mars day helps you work, rest, and play. This ad is from a little bit later on in their use of that slogan in the 90s. Because this is when they brought in their cool mascot that they had for a while there. Yes. Who was this bunny in a... They rastified him by about 10%. (laughs) It's a bunny in in sunglasses. Yes, and and a jumper, interestingly. And a red jumper, a red turtleneck jumper. Is this a rabbit because the product is an egg and it's an Easter-themed thing, which will be coming up soon, won't it? After consulting YouTube, (laughs) I didn't think so. But yes, it turns out that is... Because in my head, this slogan, the Mars a day that helps you work, rest and play, which is a much older advert going back decades. In my head, it's associated with this rabbit. Hmm. But this, no. This rabbit seems to be particularly because these are egg products close to Easter. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're just the Mars version of Cadbury's cream eggs. Yeah. Just little handheld things, not like actual Easter eggs. No, 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 little, no. Little small eggs. A I handheld think, egg. Yeah. Did I say a handheld egg? Because... <laughs> well, you said little handheld things. <laughs> well, they are, but... Yeah, much like an egg. A small egg. <laughs> but when I say cream egg, they weren't literally a hollow egg filled with fondant. They were oh. a stupid thing, and I there the egg split down the middle, and it was like two small semicircular Mars oh, bars. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, the reason I say that this is so now that we have confirmed that this is a very old slogan, they're being ironic about it now. Yes, because this illustration is this rabbit who, if the advert is to be believed, is named Mars. Oh, who has taken his red marker. And in the same manner as having crossed out be in bed by 8pm mm. on the previous page, has written next to him on the wall are in the same black scratchy font, work, rest and play. And he's crossed out work, he's crossed out rest, mm. and he's underlined play. Because in the 90s... What a tearaway. What a scamp. Yeah. What a cool dude. Uh, 
Yes. And uh, that was how they chose to advertise the stupid eggs for children. <laughs> Ma's got it all, buddy, give it all up for on and a new Ma's eggs. It's the great taste of Ma's, but it ain't in bars. It's in wicked, wicked new Ma's eggs. So soft and smooth. You don't have to be a rabbit to want to have it. The smooth taste makes you bad for new Mars eggs. You can't get more taste in an egg. It's like, you know what? You can still buy a galaxy caramel egg. You can still buy a caramel egg. You can't still buy a Mars egg, can you? No. Well, you see, this is the thing. You have to live your life in balance. You have to work, rest, and play. This guy just played, and he lasted, what, a year? (laughs) (laughs) Too many Mars bars, you see. He just ate them constantly. He played around the clock. So he had a Mars bar round the clock. Yeah. Every eight hours. I think if you play round the clock, you probably can have a Mars a day. That's a lot of calories burned, isn't it? Yeah, but if you don't stop to brush your teeth. Oh, no. And if you're a rabbit, especially, where your teeth are an important asset. So this is mostly photos of boomers in their sonic jumpers. Yes, it is. And I can't tell how many of them are official and how many of them are granny's work. No, that's the big puzzle, isn't it? That's what you look at. I mean, I'm pretty sure that David Love from Stafford's jumper is uh, home-knitted. Absolutely, because it's Tails in his Zone Runner Mac from the uh, the old Zone Runner pin-up from the back cover of one of the issues. So next to David Lowe is Wendy Jordan's pick of grandsons Paul, Timothy and Simon of Exeter. And they have each got a different Sonic jumper on, which I am sure were knitted by Wendy Jordan and that and this yeah, is God, the, and that's why she's photographed that's them why she's the taken the photograph of them yeah and that made me think you know oh okay so it turns out that like when I was a bit younger than this and I was you know more of jumper knitting age my mum used to knit me jumpers that she got you you would get these booklets out of I yeah. don't know some magazine or something and I had a a Gonzo one and a Kermit one and I had a Raphael one so I was like oh apparently there was a Sonic book of knitting patterns but there wouldn't have been one with the zone run. They, whoever's made this nope, zone run one. that's come right off the back of the comic. They've made their own design. They've got a blank bit of paper covered in whatever little squares you used, and they've crossed in. They've made their own little design to knit from. That yeah. is going above and beyond, isn't it? It's like you look at Wendy Jordan's picture of Paul, Tim- Timothy, and Simon, and two of them, I'm going to call them Timothy and Simon and assume that the names are arranged from left to right, <laughs> as the boys are. They've got the same jumper. It's, yes. ju- it's different colours, but yes. the pattern is the same. Versus uh, Paul there, who's got a little bespoke design. It's that yeah. piece of sonic clip art of him running that they used on the STC badge from back in the day. Yes, and you could almost say the same about their heads, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> the two older boys have got versions of the same head, but slightly different. Whereas the younger one is, is distinctly different from them. Over on the opposite page, Heather Forrester uh, has sent in a picture of her and Stephen Platts. That's coming in from Barrow Upon Soar in Leicestershire. What a name, I love that. Barrow That's good, Upon yeah. Soar. But they've got their Sonic jumpers on, but they're also posing alongside a big uh, cardboard yeah. Sonic standee with their Sonic cuddly toys. So they've gone all out for a good... They knew they were getting printed if they sent yeah. this one in. Yeah. Where on earth have they got a giant Sonic standee from? I really uh, want it. It looks It's great. a proper Greg Martin Sonic, too. Oh, ah, yeah. And uh, speaking of them going all out, this is in the garden. Yeah, they've taken it outside. There's not enough room in the house to stand all three of these things side by side. By these three things, I mean it and them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> rude next to them john hughes has taken a break from making all those quality teenage films in the 80s <laughs> to send in a photo of himself from winstanley and wigan 
uh, of uh, of another uh, homemade Sonic Very jumper. homemade. Brilliantly <laughs> homemade. It's almost ragtag, this jumper. <laughs> Someone's worked very hard on that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it in the sense that it's a it's a motley crew of details, <laughs> is what it is, covering this jumper. It's Sonic running across the landscape, and Robotnik and a Buzz Bomber and a Motobug are all chasing him, and there's yeah. flowers and trees. There's a lot going on. And it looks quite fan art, doesn't it? It's They're all yeah. a little bit off in the most brilliant way. And are those the uh, Sonic Cracker figures sitting on the TV behind they him? They must be, mustn't they? I mean, yes to the Robotnik. I'm not actually sure about the tails. That For some reason, it doesn't ring an immediate bell, but he must be. Um, the, the reason why it's difficult to tell is that I've got one of each character up on my mm. shelf, but I own three of each character. Oh, or is it two of each character? Possibly three, because they had different poses. So I've got ah. them all put away somewhere, and I couldn't tell you what all the poses looked like. But yes, it's definitely the Robotnik, and it's definitely the Sonic. So they are, yes, I'm sure, the Cracker Toys. And, oh, look what else. They're sat on top of the TV, along with some flowers and a lamp with tassely bits <laughs> on the lampshade. What a lovely old situation no, come that on, was. that's not specifically 1990s. You try you, Okay, you can't put a lamp on, a on top of a now. TV today. All right, I guess in that respect. All right, okay. <laughs> I take it back, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Just try it. Just try balancing a lamp. Um, yeah, because in those days, TVs were shelves. You could just put, put stuff on them. We yeah. didn't, for some reason. I don't think... Oh, no, tell a lie. In the back room where we had the Amiga. The Amiga! We had a printer sat on top of the TV. You could do that in those days. A, fo- a whole printer sat on top of the TV. And some Wallace and Gromit figures that came, I think, in crackers or else with Typhoo T, one or the other. It'd be nice if TVs just came with shelves bolted to the top of them now, you Wouldn't know? It? Yeah. <laughs> just put stuff up there. <laughs> yeah, it'd be lovely. You lost a valuable storage space whenever they you started have. making TVs flat. Yeah, I mean, you can always put a shelf above your TV. <laughs> That's an option. Above? No, I want it on. <laughs> well, you can put it very close. <laughs> Attached to it. Anyway, not all these photos are of people in their jumpers. There are two that are very different. The last two are wild cards, aren't they? So first of all, Kerry the Horse, sent in by Michael the Human in Wigan Lancashire, is a horse with what on her? A kind of a scarf thing? Yeah, it's some sort of a sonic scarf. Oh, is it a t-shirt that they've just tied around the horse's neck? Oh, possibly. Yeah. Oh, not a t-shirt, rather, but a, like a jumper or something. Yeah, you know what? I'm look look at the top of Sonic's head. You can see that you can. I'm just looking. Oh, yeah. You can see the neck is just flopped over. Yeah, yeah, this poor horse has just had a jumper tied around its neck. <laughs> just getting strangled by a jumper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Oh. Helen Walter Swan from Chilton in Oxfordshire, though, has sent in, as far as I'm concerned, the winner of the. Uh, of yes. The, of the page. Of course. Assuming this is her own belly button. It must be, mustn't it? I mean, who else's would it be? Helen has sent in a photo of her belly button, adjacent to which she has placed <laughs> one of the tattoos given away in past issues, and it's the yes. tattoo of the Sonic the Comic logo. Yes. And to complement it, around her belly button, yeah. she's made, she's drawn to make her belly button be Sonic. Really predicting some of the weirder fan art Sonics that you see. <laughs> There's a little bit, Sonic gotta go fast, about this. What she's done is drawn a blue circle around her belly button with four spikes coming off the top of it and speedy legs and speed marks. Yeah. And the speedy legs are just a circle. And it's not so much... Yeah, it, it's not even so much converting one's belly button into a Sonic. It's like... um. 
an iconic version of Sonic. Not that, not in the sense that it's famous, but in the sense that it is reduced down to its yes. simplest shapes. To its component elements. Yes. It's it's like a logo, almost. It's, it's very creative. I suppose that uh, another way of putting it is it's the best you can do while hunched over your own belly button drawing upside down. I'd say she's <laughs> done a very good job in that regard. <laughs> she's resisted the temptation to make the logo a little flag that a little arm is holding, which you would have. But you don't need to go that far. When you're down to this level of iconism, or whatever the word for that is, you don't need that. You've already told the story. And she wins a, a Fujifilm camera, as does everybody else in the photo zone. The one thing they demonstrably don't need. Yes, that's uh, that's true. But, well, no, I mean, I'd be, I'd be generous. I, I think, you know, these are probably taken with mum's camera. <laughs> sure. No, they have a little sonic camera of their own yes. to go out and take as many pictures of their belly buttons as they want. Yes. <laughs> STC regrets in quite large letters that photographs cannot be returned. That's why you got to take two. That's why it's good to have a camera of your own to waste the photos <laughs> with. Yes. <laughs> Shining Force. The Curse of Zeon, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Martin Griffiths, colours by Gina Hart, letters by Tom Frame. On the island of Grand Seal, in the Kingdom of Rune, young squire Bowie spars with his elf friend Taya. Taya? Taya? Who knows? But his skills aren't up to par. Their bond is interrupted by the arrival of a huge metal flying machine and its passenger, a robot named Zink, Z-Y-N-K, boomers, who has brought a warning for Bowie's ailing grandfather Maximilian that the evil of Zeon is about to return to plague the land. Meanwhile, at an excavation in the nearby town of Riddle, two archaeologists unearth an ancient armory filled with terrible weapons of war. So what do we think about this then? Well, this is more interesting than I was expecting. Correct. Because I went in expecting elves and fantasy men. Yes. And what I got is elves and fantasy men who find the weapon stockpile of a 20th century human army. Yes. And that's a plane. That's like a wartime carrier type plane one of the big one of the big boys yeah a bomber yeah big carrier type yeah that's fascinating and i don't know if that is what shining force is about or not yes see that's the problem we're not really going to be able to compare this to the shining force no. game uh, this is actually based more i did look up enough to know that this story is based on shining force 2 not the original shining force right in as much as shining force 2 is the game with bowie and the threat of zeon emerging from beneath the tower in Grand Seal. Well, then that makes even more futile my attempt about an hour before we started recording this to play the game. It is on the Mega Drive Mini. It is. So I fired it up to have a little go on it, and it's not my sort of thing. Not even because of the way the fighting works, which is famously a sort of turn-based type thing. No, it was just purely because um, the whole map works in spaces. So mm. you, you, I'm always overshooting things that I want to do and interact with. And when you press the button, a menu of options comes up, including talk, even if you're standing directly in front of the person you want to talk to and there's literally nothing else you could want to do. It's fiddly. Yes, it's not just that it's a turn-based game. It's a turn-based tactical game. Mm. I mean, I've... I've managed to soften myself on the old turn-based JRPG formula a little in my old age in recent years, but you will drive bamboo under my nails before I will play a f***ing tactical game. And it's both of those things rolled together, so yeah. I will not play it. <laughs> I did do a Google to try and figure out if the game was the 
because this is essentially the po- it's the post-apocalypse it's adventure time you yeah. know it's turns out that the fantasy land is actually our world after the end you know and i could find a few references to shining force being post-apocalyptic mostly in the form of people arguing as to whether or not it counts because people weren't living miserably in the wastelands and does that mean it counts as post-apocalyptic genre fiction oh i see so you have to be no i mean that's nonsense those people are wrong you know if it takes place after the end then it's a post-apocalyptic story but they're thinking it doesn't matter if you're living in the apocalypse or or if they're uh, thinking you have to be living in an apocalypse in in the actual post-apocalyptic wasteland it doesn't doesn't count if you've uh, built the world or not (laughs) you can be simultaneously post and pre-apocalypse yes but yes having you know not because as i say established well already first issue i didn't buy Hmm. uh when reading in the shop skip right past this yeah elves and no didn't care so this is this is all new to me i mean i have read it as an adult but years ago when i i again have already don't remember it yeah. So this is going to be basically all brand new to me. So it immediately, yes, became much more... There is a robot in, in the game. That right. much is true. Right. You don't really look like this. Oh, right. I don't know what they had to work with. Well, so the art in this is lovely. Yeah, this is quite nice. There's kind of an Alan Davis-y sort of vibe about it. What, him off QI? I'm going to... I knew it was worthless to make that comparison for you, <laughs> Dave. But there are people out there listening to the podcast who will understand what I mean by it. <laughs> okay. So... Let's just let it go. <laughs> I, 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 a lot of my energy just left me whenever you said that. So I choose not to explain myself. <laughs> I forget who I'm talking to sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, it looks really nice. It look and it isn't it very Zelda cartoon in the first couple of pages. Yeah, yeah. you've got the elf girl and the not elf bloke and they've got that same excuse me princess sort of relationship that Link and Zelda do in that. They're having some sparring she gets him in the face and so she has to... Oh no, he, I mean, she, she gets... she, she's got a big metal staff yeah. and he's got a wooden sword. You, the only reason you really know it's sparring is because he's using a fake sword, you know. Yeah. And then she just belts him with this giant metal mace and yeah. I'm like... And he goes over quite, face first into a rock. there actually. Yeah. yeah, so he's got blood on his face but but it's all a way to lead up to the fact that elves have magic so she heals yeah. him. So we know that now. And, and to establish that he is not an elf. That he is not an elf. I mean, you can tell from the ears but... Yes, that's how you know. I'll own up to not having really paid that much attention to the ears until he, until he said that so fair enough. And then yeah, then this plane comes by and out comes this robot who looks like a sort of well, not un-Megadroid looking, mm-hmm. and a little bit sort of um, Mick McManny, really, sort of a robot. A little bit, yeah, sure. Um, he's got kind of like, I think he's supposed to be like an industrial chimney type thing on his back, mm. but uh, because of the way the panel is drawn, we can't really see if it has big puff, 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 puffs of steam coming up out of it and smoke coming out of it because it would obscure the panels above. I do hope it has. I kind of do want that, yeah, you know, that, that would be nice. And yeah, like just the ink work is really nice, especially on that robot. That, that really is big enough for Martin Griffiths to really get his all his different size pens out and really go to town doing some interesting inking on that. Um, in fact, what happens on the next page? It almost looks like it's a different artist on the next page. Does it? Yeah. The the next page where they find the um the stockpile, like well, not not the big well, splash. Well, the it's supposed to, to be page. underground in darkness, and, and there's just know, something so blobbier about the about the inking, and and uh, yeah, it looks quite different to me. I don't know why. 
Um, well, I, I think certainly in some of those instances it's purposeful because they're mm. in. It's intended to be that they're in darkness so that the the light of the lantern is the only thing that's illuminating their faces. Right. So you can just so see he's drawn like simple minimalist, faces, yeah, sketchy, shadowy details of the faces. And as they, what's really interesting is that as these two guys find this bunker, they're like the symbols. Can you work out their meaning? Trivium? No, I cannot. But it is the same language that is written on the other artifacts found on this dig, and it says in English. No admittance to unauthorized personnel, level two clearance required. And that is where you're like, oh, oh, wow, okay. Mm. All right, then. And then they wrench this door open, and is it, uh, I think I can squeeze through. Can you hear me? And he goes through, and he says, what can you see in there? Things. Wonderful things. And it's just missiles yeah. and machine guns and yeah. flamethrowers and a tank and bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible things, wonderful things. Hey, Abby wanted me to point out that this is a quote, likely a deliberate one, um, because this is what Howard Carter said when he discovered Tutankhamun's tomb. Well, the last bit is, can you see anything in there? Yes, wonderful things. They didn't know it was anybody's tomb at the time, they just found wonderful things in it. There you go, bit of culture for you there. I have not a clue what goes on henceforth in this. And yeah, now that I know it's this post-apocalypse fantasy land risen over the top of the old world, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm game. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Now. I'll, 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 I'll check out the next one, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to. I had a certain obligation to. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I'm much more into this. It's not just Golden Axe again. No, and it's an inversion of what you didn't like about Golden Axe particularly. Like, by putting this in, it's like it rips the whole thing apart and goes like, here you go, you thought this was gonna be fantasy, the people living in it thought this was gonna be fantasy, Actually, it's this. This is going to screw him up completely. And it, it occurs to me, I suddenly realise, of course it is, really, because they did that already. You know, they did a just fantasy strip already. Twice. It was Golden Axe. Everything else that they published alongside Golden Axe got to come back for two further engagements. Mm. It didn't. It only came back for mm. one. Obviously it wasn't popular. That's a point. Most things that SDC have published that have had, to some degree or another, an identity of their own... And if this was just Golden Axe warmed over, but with the characters from Shining Force dropped in, it'd be like, whatever. But it's a whole other genre or collision of genres at work that I uh, I did not expect. And yeah. I'm super game. Yeah, let's go. Now, uh, Martin Griffiths is someone who the STC online people caught up with and asked oh. about this. Because this is the only thing he ever does for STC, is, mm. is this Shining Force strip. And um, he said a couple of things of interest when they interviewed him. One was that he actually lived just a, a couple of miles away from the colorist because he mm. says he used to cycle the black and white pages over to her. He used to just go around her house and give the pages to her and she would call them in and hand them in. So that's nice. But the main thing that he talks about, the main story, is... Um, the, I'll just read this to you. It's the answer to the question, how did you get involved with STC? So this is like the origin of the artist being hired for this. He says, I got a call from Debbie Tate, the editor. Debbie Tate, apparently. Um, who I knew from my Marvel UK days when she worked there. She called me in and we went through the strip and how it was going to pan out. And Debbie, to this day, still blames me for spilling coffee over someone else's original artwork. <gasps> Even though I was on the other end of the phone to her. I think I said something funny oh. for a change and she spilt the coffee. And I'm still good friends with Debbie to this day. That's nice. Maybe. That's why that Sonic strip looks so dashed on. <gasps> oh, what if? No, I don't think... I, you'd have to be 
really trying to ruin seven pages of artwork <laughs> with one cup of coffee. But, uh, I mean, you could do it, but it would be a pretty spectacular show. I think the solution to that would just be to let it dry and then give it back to the artist to draw that bit over again, you know, rather than... Rather than suddenly have to get somebody to quickly replace the entire thing, resulting in seven pages of Richard Elson tracings. Unless all of the most egregious bits all happen to fall within the same area of each page, in which case there's your answer. All splashed <laughs> only on the sonic figures. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shining Force, listeners, this is our last go at adapting a non-sonic Sega it game. is. There will be some more Decap Attacks. Oh, apart but from once, Decap Attack. Uh, yes, but it almost doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't you know? count. That's the SDC. But uh, yeah, once this is over, this is not just the last new mm. Sega superstars. Like, no more of them will return. Mm. This is the end of an era. Yeah. But, it, but it doesn't even feel like one. Because, as I said back at the start, its very presence in this yeah. strip feels like something from the past now. Yeah. It's a throwback. It doesn't feel like we've reached some big monumental end of moment. No. We've seen so many of the strips that have been in the series multiple times come to their own quiet ends while still being told they'll be back even though they never would. It's a gradual phasing out. It's not some big put the flag down and mark the end here. Because, you know, Decapitag does continue as well. And, you know, thinking about it, it's difficult to imagine what else they could have done. Because what... Other Sega games are suitable for this. We keep saying that the most popular games right now aren't Streets of Rage or Golden Axe. It's football and football and football, yeah. yeah. I mean, even this is an odd one, though, because this is such a narrative game, you know, as an RPG. Yeah. It's got a story. Yeah. I am sure this was written without much knowledge of what actually happens in the game. Yeah, it must be. If what we've heard from the creators on the rest of the comic is similar to this... They were probably just essentially not even necessarily bought a copy of the game. <laughs> if they played it themselves, then that seems like it was their own lookout. But that's the thing with so many of the past strips. They were just, you know, simple 16-bit games with a high concept. Yeah. And then you could just do whatever yeah. with that high concept. But this was a game with a story. Mm. So it's a weird fit for this kind of thing even now. Very. But I won't lie. This first chapter did a lot to grab my attention. Yeah. And I am going to be interested in seeing what happens in it. Yeah. Because this is, even though, as I said, I have since read all these issues and I know quite well the Sonic stories around them, mm-hmm. this I might as well be reading for the first time now. Yeah. So I'm quite excited in that regard. <laughs> yeah, and, and just gaming history people will be interested that here is a British Marvel UK style adaptation of a JRPG. That doesn't happen very often. No, we put it like that, yeah. It's like, how did you describe Golden Axe again? Or maybe it wasn't you described Golden Axe. Someone described Golden Axe when they were on the podcast as uh, this classic European fantasy tropes filtered down through a Japanese video game lens adapted back into a British comic book. See, I thought it was you that said that, so let's claim joint ownership of it. No, that wasn't me. uh, (laughs) Someone said it. I don't remember who. It must have been a guest. Maybe. (laughs) It's back to just general tips and sh- Yes, and, and what a relief. I'm sick of all these multi-issue specials, you know, where we know we won't be interested in anything in it. I found two full things to be interested in in this double-page yeah, spread. we've got tips here from Micro Machines 2, Ristar, Skeleton Crew, and Theme Park. Theme what park. bits did you find interesting? Well, lol at the first paragraph, the intro that they've tried to do here for the Ristar one, 
forget astronomer Patrick Moore's tips on where to find the Big Dipper in the sky at night. Instead, take down these tips to make Ristar a star game. Okay, you've got to have an intro, apparently. Bit tortured, but I'll let it go. <laughs> Even though Micro Machines didn't feel the need to have an intro, it's just, yeah, get a fast car, you pause the game, you press this. Column inches, just needed to fill them. <laughs> So for Ristar, it's four passwords that they've given you to unlock things. Um, museum gives you a boss rush. I love you. I love you. Selects any level you want. Time attack is do feel. That's a weird one. And then Maguro uh, gives you the. It says finally to play the Unchi system with some crazy options. Enter the password Maguro. So I looked up what that was and. It's, it doesn't seem to be crazy options. I don't know why they've described it as crazy options. What it is, is you go into the sound test and now the music's wrong. Oh. That's that's what it is, because Onchi, the, the reason it's called the Onchi system, I looked this up. Onchi is Japanese for tone deaf. Oh, ha! That's what it is. It's a cheat that makes the music, presumably when you start the game, it'll also be wrong. Rather than yeah, just the yes. sound test, but I'm not sure. Like wrong or bad? Like like off I think, key? Or? Yeah, it, it basically shifts it all off key, so it's all wrong and bad. I chuckled at this one in Micro Machines too. If you happen to be playing against a friend who is a champion at this game, mm. enter this code. So literally cheat in front of your friend. Like, <laughs> yeah. Put it, pause the game, put in the code, and unpause it. It will now be unbelievably hard playing, and you'll laugh at their newfound uselessness. <laughs> I wonder what that does if it just messes the controls up. Or yeah. Something. Does it reverse the controls, or does it just put it into hard mode, or? Yeah, flipping. What does it do? Why don't they? T why don't they tell you? Why do they say stuff like it's got weird options or it makes it? Tell me. What does it do? What? Why no. won't they tell us what these things? <laughs> why to play the game with a strange? A strange Sonic. Sonic. Yeah, exactly. It gets. It, it gives you the sense that this has been a long game of telephone and that they've read it in. Someone they know has written it to them and they read it in a magazine and no one in the chain actually knows what it is. Which is, makes it interesting that the last one, the theme park one, is actually credited. It says, a monster thank you to STC fan Ian K from Liverpool, who tells me that by entering this code, you can start the game with £32 million in the bank. So that, yeah, they're not usually credited, are they? So I guess, up till now, Chris mm. Jones is digging them up himself, God knows from where. This second uh, theme park cheat mm. doesn't really sound like a cheat so much as a glitch, doesn't it? I know, yeah. If you want the children to ride your tubing ride in go-karts... And the speedway in rubber tubes. Swapping the car graphics. So that's a lazy river and a go-kart yeah. rides. Once you've made a speedway or tubing ride and you've put the entrance in, turn the other ride off. Now change the track to either speedway or tubing and turn it back on. So it just kind of sounds like a glitch to me. Yeah. It, I guess it's you make the ride the same way. It's the same thing and you just set in the option what it is, you know. Yeah, but how is that different to... Because if there is an option to change the track to either speedway or tubing, then that sounds like, yeah, the game just allows you to switch a ride between those two things. What's all this I, about I, building listen, a second I, ride and closing it and pausing it? And... I don't know, Dan. What are you going to ask me for? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but an intriguing, long-awaited yes. little banner here at the end of the page. Next issue, 
Saturn's heading your way. Saturn cheats! I have no encyclopedias or guides to help us in this <laughs> brave new era, Dave. Oh dear, the one you've got is just Mega Drive and Mega CD. Just Mega Drive, Mega CD and 32X. If only we could have had this book. You really got that at the tail end of its usefulness, yeah. Well, it's not its fault. It only came out. No, in, true. Yeah. But would that it could have come out two years ago. In much the same way that we like to think it isn't our fault that you find us at the end of our usefulness. Yeah. <laughs> the same goes for the encyclopedia. But Dave has tales <laughs> from back when we were young and yes. useful and youthful <laughs> in the Diary Zone. I have a bad case of diarrhea. I have a bad case of diarrhea. Yes, this is the section where I crack open my actual genuine 1996 diary and we find out what an what it this podcast has always been about presenting what it's like to live in that time to you and here is the closest we could possibly get to that because it is the written record of that by my own younger self who writes on Thursday the 7th of March 1996 at 10:30 p.m. Okay, so I'm the luckiest kid in England. <laughs> Here's why. This is such a marker of what time we lived in. So, this morning I was ill and managed to weave a day off. Weave. That's an interesting choice weave. of words. Yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, even though mum and dad are both working today. <sighs> so am I, am I in the house on my own all day? Have I been left alone? Very exciting. At the age of 13, you, you could get away with No, that. I think it's 14 nearly. I think I've turned oh. 14 in the next few days, so yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, yes. Right. It'd be absolutely fine to be left on your own at that point. Sure, yeah. But it might help, just to make things safe, if my parents could just ensure that I will be locked in a single place the whole day. And here's how they did it. Just before they... because Because... It's coming up to my birthday right soon. And it's coming up to my dad's birthday soon as well. And so just before they left, dad showed me mine and his joint birthday present. Ooh. Not a thing that we normally would do. So that's just an excuse. A colour. Hand. Scanner. The very first time in our house that we had such a thing as a scanner and you know me chris i'm an amiga kid i'm making animations we've already established this i've been drawing sonic animes animes beg pardon yeah i've been making <laughs> animes on my amiga <laughs> and i've been making i've been drawing them with the mouse now imagine the world that opens up before me i can draw these things by hand and i can scan them in with my hand scanner now what a hand scanner was if, if you never saw such a thing. I remember them being shown off on Bad Influence. And that's probably where I got the idea. You literally, you held this thing in your hand and it was the... You know, you, I hope you've all seen a, a normal scanner uh, or a flatbed scanner, as we called them in those days, yes. where you close the lid and a, a bar of light travels to and fro. Well, a hand scanner is that bar of light encased in a big chunk of plastic and you have to manually pull it down the page. And you have to pull it down the page as I discovered that day, with all the steadiness and accuracy of a flatbed scanner. Mm. Otherwise, you get a wiggly, wobbly picture. If you speed up and slow down, that is reflected in how long the picture comes up on the screen. They are useless hand scanners. Uh, and, <laughs> and now I can make a decent poster for my friend Ash's Necromunda Citadel Miniatures Club. But it didn't. <laughs> Friday, the 8th of March, 96, 10.57pm. My tooth came out. Whey! Go to the front top teeth 
and go along to the drac to the right. You know, I mean the, the canine. Yeah, the canine. But yeah. the reason I bothered to tell you about a tooth coming out is that things get weird on Sunday, the 10th of March, 10.36pm. Hmm. Yesterday, Friday's tooth had split in two. Oh, too many Mars bars. Too many Mars bars. Yesterday, another tooth became wobbly. And came out. Oh, no, too many Mars bars. You were too much play, not enough work and rest. Setting a new record. <laughs> but yeah, like, a tooth becomes wobbly and comes out that day? That is borderline creepy. That's scary. Yeah. And it says go to Friday's tooth and it's two to the right. Oh, so possibly there was a, it was being jammed in by the teeth around it that are now slightly relaxed. Well, today, that tooth had split in two. And then there's just a question mark, exclamation mark in brackets as well there might. You mean the loose tooth had broken in two, right? The second tooth. So the, one... the tooth that had already come out. No, no. One tooth comes out. Yeah. The next day, it falls in half. I don't know why I've still got it. Th- that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That day, another tooth becomes wobbly, comes out, and the next day, it splits in two. Something's going on in my mouth. Something creepy is happening. And then I say... I've just lost one half off my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not do the tooth fairy then? Well, I, d- this is the question. Do I still do that at 13? And is that what's going oh, on suppose, here? Yeah, you're old enough. Yeah, is that what's right. going on? Am I just like... I forgot the age for a second there. So am I like, what do I do with a tooth now? I guess I'll just put it on my bedside shelf and wonder what to do with that. And it, what happens is it splits in half and half of it rolls off the shelf. Spontaneous tooth splittage. Mm. That is nasty. I don't like that. Thursday the 14th of March, nineteen ninety six. Birthday bash! Is it a double page spread? I don't think it is. I got a Game Boy. This is when I got my Game Boy. I know it's late, but I hadn't thought that I was able to procure such lofty things when the Game Boy was new. And then I just, I saw Link's Awakening and I was like, holy crap. The Game Boy is a completely different thing than what I thought it was. I thought it was like a dodgy stickman version of Mario and Tetris. (laughs) And that was all it was. This is incredible! What? So, Game Boy. I got my Game Boy with Zelda and Donkey Kong Land. And, in the afternoon, Earthworm Jim. Hey! On the Game Boy. I didn't know Earthworm Jim was on the Game Boy. Yeah, what? no it was. It was a, they did a... The closest you can come to a sterling job of getting it on there. Like, it was almost like someone had scanned Earthworm Jim or something. So it was like, he was about four pixels tall. But because it was based on the original animation, you could still basically make out what was happening. So it was a non-perfect attempt at releasing it on the Game Boy. Mm -hmm. But here's exactly what it says in the diary. And I do not know what this means. Oh, okay. And Earthworm Jim in the afternoon, when all the grandparents came down along with the automata clown... Well, that's a little creepy. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. almost rhymes, and I wonder if you were just doing some random. Oh, line. when all the grandparents came down along with the automata clown. No, it doesn't scan. But like, no. what am I talking about? It must be that also in the afternoon I got an at- automata clown. But I don't. What the? <laughs> what I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever owned an automata clown. And if I have, I obviously put it very quickly at the back of a cupboard and never saw it again. The auto- the. It's the word the. The, Along yeah. with the automata clown. <laughs> so my, but it doesn't. It sound like my grandparents showed up, escorted by, yeah, yeah, a clockwork clown, as if the <laughs> came in to entertain the birthday boy. I don't know. 
And it doesn't explain it. He's never mentioned again this automata car. Hello, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what that is. Haunting. Tales. Fox on the Run, part one. Written by Lou Stringer, art by Carl Flint, colours by Mike Hadley, and letters by Steve Potter. Tails bops a few badniks while on a walk in the Spring Flower Zone. And one of the Mobians freed from the robots is a mouse named Tantrum, a bad-tempered little kid who doesn't know how to get home. Tails attempts to help him, but just then, the fox is attacked by Fleabite, a cyborg cowboy bounty hunter out to bring the outlaw in. In the chaos, Tantrum falls down a hole, and Tails jumps in after him. Here's the actual cowboy bit. Yes, here's the cowboy bit. Except... Except no, there's just a cowboy character. End, it's not a cowboy story. It's just that someone in the strip is arbitrarily a cowboy. Like, I wonder if it's going to mean anything going forward. Or I, I almost suspect it was just put in because they had some cowboy pictures to make a graphic zone out of and wanted no. something mm-hmm. else. Nah, Lou Stringer would have just invented that. He's, like, he's... <laughs> Fleabite is... He's at least three things. Okay. He might even be four, if you count the fact that he's a cat as a thing. Okay. But he is a bounty hunter. Yes. You can just be that. Mm-hmm. He is a cyborg. He's got a robot arm. Oh, so he has. I didn't even notice. Yeah. And he's a cowboy. Mm. You could be any one of those things and be something unto yourself. But uh, no, Lou's gone for all three. He has. And, and if you're the writer, wouldn't you pause and go... Well, what I've got here is three different strips. I'm not going to blow them all in one. That's what's good about Lou Stringer. He don't leave it on the table. Exactly. Lou Stringer knows that he can be relied upon to generate an unlimited number of ideas for an unlimited number of comic strips. That is who he is. That is what he can do. So he's like, yeah, no, sod it. We're having a bounty hunter, cyborg, cowboy, and that's what we're having. And what's better about it again, though, is even though he's decided to have a... And the cowboy thing is the overriding. Like, the fact that he's a bounty hunter is what motivates him. But his dialogue is all written out phonetic-like. My name is Fleabat the Bounty Hunter. That's his defining identity you know he's not fleabite the cat or something and i reckon dr robotnik would pay me a fortune for you two critters not even out for an actual contract or anything just spotted them and was like yeah that'll do i'll have that but what's great about it is stringer does not in any way feel the need to lumber the story with an unnecessary wild west setting Mm. this is just what the character is and now we get tales and and it is it's tales stumbling into an adventure that's just an ordinary bloody adventure. Yes. He's not off in another dimension. Yes. He's not discovering a little secret world. Well, okay. We'll see. The story does end with him going underground. Yes. It's not just a hole Trantrum falls down. It's a real chasm. There's there's great great potential for some kind of underground mole civilization. Well, it makes me wonder if it'll be an underground Wild West civilization of some sort. You know? I suppose it could, and that would uh, take away from what I've just said, but I guess we'll just have to see. You said lumbered, but I'm sort of confused as to why... There is just a cowboy in a non-cowboy setting here. You can just have a cowboy sometimes. It's all right. I guess. You can just have a cowboy. It's just his identifying <laughs> detail. You must be tired of living. <laughs> just wandering around being a cowboy in yeah. Mobius. Yeah. I mean, most you know, whenever you put a bounty hunter in anything, they do need a hook of some mm. kind. So it's, just being a bounty hunter isn't interesting. You know, you got to be a big lizard man or <laughs> half robot. 
or have a cool helmet like Boba <laughs> Fett. You know, you gotta have something. Yeah. And you could be a cyborg, or you could be a cowboy. You could be. A... Why not just be all three of those things? Yeah, I'm not gonna forget him, am I? <laughs> no, fair, fair. He's just got a bandage tied around the end of his tail. His sleeves are both his sleeves are torn off his big long duster jacket, mm-hmm. and it's like yes, okay, you'd obviously tear the sleeve off one side to show you've got a robot arm, yeah, but the other side is just a normal arm, and it's just oh, I guess it's just symmetry then, just to show off his big muscles. <laughs> he, he was just maybe he was just warm. Well, it's the spring flower zone. It seems like quite a pleasant place. You know, he could yeah. probably left the jacket at home to be honest, but he, then he yeah. wouldn't cut nearly as menacing a figure. <laughs> oh, when he whips. So what happens is he's got his Wild West pistol out and. And he aims that and he's run out of bullets in it. And so he gets out of his other holster a massive space laser thing. Yeah. Knew I shouldn't have bought a second hand gun. Guess I'll just have to rely on my old faithful laser blaster. <laughs> and it just starts, oh gosh, look at him in the next panel, just like hopping from foot to foot, dancing around as he blasts everything in the zone. Carl Flint's big into these, those kinds of moments where characters just have their hands mm. waving. And, and we've yeah. seen it in the Brutus strip recently. Characters just sort of be having their arms flailing rather than standing in static poses if he can help it. It's just like, well. He's a man who knows how to have fun, is Carl. Mike Hadley's Colouring looking very good on Carl's art, I must say. It's not Carl's usual airbrushed look. There's a real warmth to the colour and a lovely shade of orange on tails. Especially after the brown rubbish in that first strip. God, yeah. I thought something looked different. It didn't occur to me to check that there was a colourist here, yes. Tantrum's a little puke, though, but I, yeah. I do love the fact that his name is actually Tristram. Yes! His name's Tristram and everyone calls him Tantrum. I like the bit where he falls down the hole and his mouth goes sideways. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's, it's a really good way of emphasizing how much he's screaming as he goes down this hole that his mouth's sideways now. I knows you can fly, Fox, but the only way you're gonna escape my laser blasts is by following your buddy into that hole. And even you ain't dumb enough to do that. And Tails just bounds in head first. Does that imply that he knows what's down there? No, it's just a big hole. It's a big hole. I, I'm not going to jump into it. Sorry, Dave, but if you fall into a big hole, I'm not going to jump in after you. What? Not even <laughs> if you had, if you could fly, which is described in that very panel. Um, actually, if I could fly, yeah. That's the thing. We've established. Oh, that's a good point, then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we've established the falling isn't the problem. I think the point Fleabite is making is that he knows Tails could fly away mm. but if he chose to do that he'd still be able to pick him off with his laser not that he can safely fly down the hole the hole actually looks very narrow i don't think tails could fly down it but could be proven completely wrong next time so we'll see <laughs> we will see i've the, the, the here's the thing that that left me a bit puzzled about this strip is that absolutely nothing in it gives any clue as to what happens next at all yes it's not like it's the most interesting strip that's ever been but Oh. Dave, I f- love not knowing. Yeah, <laughs> I have to tell you, like being in a stage now where I truly have no idea because I've read this once in my life. <laughs> oh boy, I did not like the first header on this first letter. I gotta tell you, Woo. feet footish. Feet footish. Mm-hmm. This is a letter from Owen Duig, Doug, Doug Ooh. of Leeds. And he writes in with three questions. Dear Megadroid, would you please answer? Number one, is Knuckles a girl or a boy? Megadroid replies, yes, because <laughs> he is one of those. <laughs> Which football team do you support? Robotinum. <laughs> and where are your feet? Supporting me. 
I'm a little angry <laughs> that they put this letter in. <laughs> yeah. None of the answers are funny. We've already done the is Knuckles a girl or a boy thing. I guess that, I never had that misconception, but I guess that was a pretty widespread Apparently, misconception. Yeah. And we all know, because he was pink. That's exactly <laughs> why anybody would think he was a girl. He was pink. Yeah. But obviously a lot of people had this problem. And Megadroid's like, yes. I thought Knuckles was an echidna. You remember last time somebody yeah, asked that question? Right. Yeah, yeah they, w- they will not answer this. Do you think they're worried that actually they might be wrong? Maybe. Maybe they don't know. Yeah. But if they were that worried, they'd probably edit the Knuckles strips to make his gender not apparent. Speaking of Knuckles. Yes, just below that, we've got a picture from Nick Waller of Fleet in Hampshire of a pirate Knuckles, which they don't choose to use to promote the fact that Captain Plunder is in Knuckles' next issue. Oh, yeah! But is obviously why they've chosen to print it now. Yeah! Oh, yeah! Normally, they must have just forgotten to put the little caption on it that says, Knuckles sets sail on the high seas next next issue issue, or something like that, or or pirate perils for Knuckles' next issue. (laughs) So he's got a cutlass, he's got a a cutlass holster, he's got... And not an earring, he's got a spine ring. Which yeah, is it's a in one touch. of his spines, I like that, that's good. He's got the Skull and Crossbones hat, and it's... I don't know if there's a version of this sort of hat that has rivets in it, but they look like rings. And of course he's got an eye patch. Oh, and instead of his in STZ necklace in the game's mm. moon-shaped crescent thing... It's okay, you don't, you don't have to justify that to these kids. It's alright, it is a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing a gold version of that with a ruby inset in it. Quite nice. Yeah. The other piece of art is an odd one. It's from Jessica Brown in Bembridge in the yes. Isle of Wight, and it's Tails riding a horse. Hmm. But this, I mean, this has got to be referenced or gotta something, be. right? Got to be. But that's all it is. It's Tails in brown clothes, trousers, yeah. a jacket, but it's hard to make out any more details than that. Yeah. And he's riding a horse, which itself has a black... Um, I don't know what you call those things. I'm going to call it a mask, but you yeah. know, the thing that you put over a horse's head. And he's in front of big stone arches. And That's the thing. Like They almost look like a, a, the ruins of a wall or something, yeah. don't they? Um, and his his eyes themselves are, are lidded and heavy yeah. as, if, as if the weight of the world bears down Exactly, as if he's riding into town after a lot of exhausting... Yeah. The sterling job drawing the horse. Yeah, yeah. Horses are yeah tough going. Yeah, notoriously one of the hardest things to draw that there is, and this is a, a very good one. I, I mean, presumably what Jessica has done here is set a toy horse on the table and used it as reference. Quite probably, it haunts me because it's got to be a reference to something. Otherwise, you would never think of dressing tails up in brown clothes. Yeah. We've had several pieces of this before, and at times we've been lucky enough to get the artist to come on and explain what on earth they were about. Yes. But then there's other ones like that. Do you remember that one? Prehistoric Sonic, they captioned it. The weird jeweled airbrushed yes. Sonic. Yeah, still none the wiser. We'd no. love to know, but this is no. that kind of thing. Funny Nanny, dear Megadroid, I don't know why, but my nan just loves the sight of Sonic's face on my slippers. Do you think she's a little over the top? Says Andrew Hookum or Howcom of Kent, Megadroid owner. And Megadroid replies, maybe they're shiny slippers, Andrew. What? But I... Listen, Deb, Deb Tate was five on a Friday when she knocked out <laughs> the answers to these letters. I, these are rubbish. I have... No idea what that is talking about. Unless Megadroid here is implying that Andrew's nan has Sonic's head. 
and that that's what her face is. And so when she looks into the very shiny slippers, oh, 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 she's not enjoying Sonic's face. She's looking at her own face and enjoying that because the slippers are so shiny. That, I think, is what if it is. If that's what it is, that's still terrible, tortured, <laughs> and nonsense. <laughs> and now, ne- last one. Ballpoint is the title they've given this one. Good title for this one. James Street from Middleton by Worksworth in Derbyshire wants to know, will Marco's Magic Football be returning for a new story? Hmm. And Megadroid gives an actual decent reply this yeah, time. Yeah, actual reply. The lad played well, James, but unfortunately has taken early retirement from STC. And you know what? I think that is the first time Uh that STC has ever acknowledged that something is not coming back. Yeah, or that it could not come back. That they have closed Mm. off. In fact, I find this really interesting because if you're publishing a comic like this, you'd think that you'd want to keep your options open to do anything you wanted at any time. So to have such a decisive answer as this implies that there's some reason they know that they won't or can't mm. do it again. And could that be that they know they're not making any more Sega superstars? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Are they allowed to make no more after this, perhaps? We would have to talk to the people in charge to see what the story was. But although it has always sort of felt like they just sort of gradually gave up on the Sega superstars, first just bringing back the old strips for second and third engagements, yeah. Um because as we said last time, like before Shining Force, this issue, the last new Sega Superstar trip that wasn't a return was Sparkster. Mm. And I, before that, I genuinely couldn't tell you what the last new one before that was. Marco, probably. Could have been Marco. Even though it feels like a gradual phasing out, like it probably wasn't. There probably was a decision made at some point. Because mm-hmm. they, they did keep making Decap Attack. Yes. Because that's the funny thing. It's like, again, Kitching wrote Sparkster and he wrote Shining Force. And not so much longer ago, those jobs would have gone to other people. Yeah. You know, Kitching and Stringer, they're the Sonic writers. They didn't have these jobs handed off to them, but Kitching did Streets of Rage. And he, it's just become the sort of thing that they hand off to him now. Yeah. We've talked before as well about how it's weird to think from our point of view, of Kitching and Stringer as just being freelancers who were just coming up with whatever and hoping the comic would buy it. Mm. When, from our perspective, and even now as adults, they're the ones setting the tone and the direction of the comic. Yeah. You know, they might as well be staff. You know, and by the way, I think Nigel has said somewhere that the reason we had so much decap attack was thanks to Deborah Tate, who seems to have championed it. Mm. I mean, maybe Sega just wanted to move past this stuff. Maybe. These all being old games. You know, maybe there was some Sega instruction came down. But then if that was the case, if Sega were giving them directions in that regard, why wouldn't they tell them to make strips about new hot games for the Saturn? Well, such as what? (laughs) Listen, I'm sure Nigel Kitching could have cooked up something to go along with Panzer Dragoon. Yeah. I can't name another Saturn game. Clockwork Knights, you could probably do a strip about. Knights? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. And ultimately, and this sounds a little mean, but it is true, and it's just, I'm sure it's true for you too. Like, I don't care very much. No. Because ultimately it transformed the comic into all Sonic all the time. Yeah. And it certainly, I mean, even as a kid who wasn't buying it anymore, I recognised that as a big achievement have cover to cover sonic the thing is in my case i remain interested in and excited by the concept of turning various games into comic strips yes i think as an adult i'm more interested in it now and more interesting in in experiencing what i can now more clearly recognize as different genres yes the touches flourishes and choices of other creators the only thing is 
they went through a very long spell, reaching to the end of the Sega Superstar strips, of choosing games I wasn't interested in and making strips out of them that I wasn't interested in. As always, the peril, you see, at least back at the start with Shinobi and Golden hmm. Axe and uh, Echo the Dolphin and, and Streets of Rage those and Kid Chameleon, and there's also Wonder Boy, but Wonder Boy kind of doesn't count. Uh, but those, say those five I've just named there, those were some of the hottest things. Like those, as games, like those yeah, were yeah. the names on everyone's lips, even though I never played Golden Axe or Kid Chameleon or Wonder Boy, but I did play Echo and Streets of Rage. But I still knew what they were, you know? You've hit the nail on the head. What's happened here is we have passed out of the era where there is anything for Sega that fits that description other than Sonic. Mm. I mean, well, they tried to do it with Ristar, and I remain surprised that they didn't do a Ristar strip for STZ. Mm. He would have been a good fit for it. Yeah, it would, actually. Yeah. Oh, well. We've got a couple of things in our mailbag. Hey! It's your letters! It's your letters! It's your letters! It's your letters! stctpodcast at gmail.com here's one from Peter Fenner from Wellingborough Northants Game Gear owner never a Sonic Water Fun game winner and still uh, not one because we haven't got any he says dear Humes I think you're in charge I found your podcast recently thanks to Guy Kelly mentioning it on his Twitch stream hey. and you can find those streams at twitch.tv forward slash brain mage and I'm loving it I used to read STC as a child a few years younger than you guys starting with issue 21 in retrospect an excellent starting point ooh which one was that? 20. That's Girl Trouble Part Oh, there one. you go. That is like almost the best place to start. Your podcast has been such a wonderful source of nostalgia, but strangely enough, the biggest nostalgic hit wasn't from anything Sonic related. Oh, it no, no, no. came when you were singing the Smurfs theme tune in episode 21. <laughs> la, 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 Or the other one. Which one? Which well, one of the two theme songs? Eh? Well, and what went through... Let's work it out from this. And what went through my mind was, I thought the Smurfs theme tune was la, 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 la. <laughs> But I guess that's just because of the train ride at once upon a time! Peter, yeah. you and me are hanging out. We're going to nostalgia about once upon a time. <laughs> and if you went to the castle, oh, we're going to have some chats. Yeah! Then you went and mentioned the ride. That ride is, for better or worse, one of my earliest memories, and I never expected to hear it referenced in a completely unrelated podcast. Oh, this is the kind of podcast where you do not know what it's going to get referenced. <laughs> Peter, you never expected to hear that ride referenced on here. I bet you never expected to hear that ride on here. I would apologise to everyone except Peter for the awful sound quality here, but you know the deal by now. I put what I want on these things. Peter, there's a bit that I cut out of the Diary Zone where I mentioned the day that I heard that on a on a retrospective Top of the Pop special, and I'm like, what? What? The song from Once Upon a Time was on Top of the Pops once? What? That means I can buy it somewhere. 
And I never have. Of course, it doesn't matter now. You just call it up on YouTube. Anyway, the reason I'm writing to you is because you've asked several times if anybody ever sent in the data strip Way! from the back of a comic. Well, I can do one better than that. I've been reading my old comics while catching up on the podcast. Oh, he's still got them. And although I was never enough of a monster to actually cut a data strip off... I've found an issue where I filled it in. Yes! Thought you might like to see what seven-year-old yes, me Yes, I really want to see it! <laughs> so I've scanned it and I've attached it to this email. Hope you enjoy Wait, wait, wait. Don't send it to me. Do the thing like we did whenever I read that one out to you and see if I can guess okay. if I can remember the content of the issue. Okay, then. So Peter was seven when he filled this in. Hang on, hang on. What issue is it for? 30. 30. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going back. Okay. Okay. Uh, hang on, I'm going to go. Wait, wait, one second. I want to go and get issue 30 <laughs> so that I can see what was in it and then guess. <laughs> <laughs> I have my copy of issue number 30 in my hand here. I am ready to guess how he ranked the contents. Read on, Dave. Okay, so, game into strip. What Sega game would you like to see as an STC strip in the future? No, I can't guess. The only bit I can guess is the mega hits. Just I think you bit. can guess based on my excited little face. Dizzy! Dizzy! <laughs> and he's written both Zs backwards, and I don't know if that's a seven-year-old child mistake, or if that is a reference to the fact that like the letters spin round in the logo in some of the games. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> so then, list your three favourite stories in this issue in order of preference, and Chris, you can fill us in on what those stories were this time. Yes. So the stories in this issue were Metamorphia, oh. Sonic, a very good one, mm. the final part of Streets of Rage, yep. Skates' story. Mm-hmm. Not the final part of Streets of Rage ever. It's the no, it's the second yeah. Streets of Rage strip, where uh, the Mark Miller's final Streets of Rage. Strip. Yes, the third part of the Morbidden Hunt. Mm. Ooh, and the third part of Pirate STC. Okay, so what are we thinking? Well, I'm thinking he's got to have put Sonic at number one. Sonic at number Metamorphia. one. Correct. Yes. I mean, it is actually also the best strip in the comic. Yes. But then it becomes a little hard to tell after that. Mm. Because it's very easy to imagine a child not enjoying Pirate STC's brilliance. Yeah. And also very easy to imagine a child tolerating the uh, boring pish that is the Morbidden Hunt. <laughs> um, Make your guess. So we, what, we know, what do we know about this kid? This kid is quite like me, you know? He's into Dizzy. He's into the Smurfs ride. He's, it, to the extent that he learns the Smurfs ride tune, just like I did. Yeah, okay. Number two is it's Tails, the Morbidden. Yes, one. correct. Yes. So I'm going to guess number three is Streets of Rage. No, Pirates. Pirates? Oh. We diverge, me and Peter, on this issue because I yes, didn't I see, enjoy I was thinking because I thought you would have put uh, yeah. Streets of Rage. Yeah. Pushed for choice, but you would have picked it. I wonder, would I? Or would I have gone Pirate STC purely because it was cartoony? Well, you've been so filled with rage. No, I mean, this was the Pirate STC where you really started to lose it. This was the <laughs> one with the pig box superhero mask. Oh, right, yeah. And Vanguard, the spatula constructor, and one head butt. How do you rate issue 30 of STC? What percentage do you think Peter's given it? Um... And again, I'll say that we know that this kid has a clue, that this kid is like me. However he's rated it, I wager that it's within the Mega City range. Uh -huh. It's <laughs> definitely within the Mega City range. That's as precise as I would care to be. Okay. 
150%. (laughs) That's more than mega. The reason I say it gave you the clue that he's like me is because at this time in my diary, we know that I'm writing like Megadroid. I'm doing the whole, I'm joining in with the bit. Yeah. So obviously I'm going, it's 150%. And that's, yep, that's what he's gone with. Well, that was fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I I love that we had an... I never thought we'd get the opportunity to have another data strip go over. That's brilliant. Thanks for that, Peter. We've got another letter here from uh, Alistair Pitt, who says, Hello again, guys. One of the things I enjoy a lot in STCTP is your take on the voices for the Sonic characters. Yay. During a recent episode, I had an epiphany about STC Sonic's voice. So I agree with your take that STC Sonic would sound American. However, STC Sonic isn't American. Mm. STC Sonic would sound like a British person doing an yeah. American accent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's... I mean, I'm not British, but... <laughs> I'm Irish, but I'm an Irish person doing an American... One of those uh, BBC 1970s adventure serial American accents. Splitting hairs, perhaps. But I have a specific voice in mind. I think STC Sonic sounds like Dexter Fletcher as Spike in Press Gang... <laughs> Spike Thompson. Of course, the American. Well, an American. There is more than one of us, you know. Staying long or is this a flying visit? I've been here four years. Really? You'll have learned the language soon. Well, this may come as a surprise to you, but some Americans, they can speak English too. Then why don't you? Which I suppose means that STC Amy should sound like Julius Wala from Press Gang. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> and by the way, check out KC himself. Yes, that's the vibe I was getting. I mean, there's the kids' drama that we were saying it resembled. <laughs> yes, just listening to that clip. Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's not a bad shout. Yeah, yeah. And there we go. That was our mailbag. If you want to be in it and get read out on the podcast, then you can send letters or voice clips or videos. But I can't put them on a podcast, you know. But send what you want to send to stctpodcast at gmail.com don't send it to stctp at gmail we won't get it it's stctpodcast at gmail.com next issue new story fangs to come i don't believe that's the title of the story i think that's just what but they've done a big dramatic logo and everything there with the fangs with a big huge f that ends in a big fang a big fangy f yeah but it's because captain plunder is in knuckles yes cap i wonder it says here new story fangs to come captain plunder and knuckles is it a captain plunder and knuckles story in the same way that we had a knuckles and tails story or is captain plunder just going to be in the knuckle strip or well we'll find out yeah and and we get our first look at a dobbin plunder mm, yeah gimme 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 um sonic caught in the act okay look forward to that tails going underground just that was the end caption on the last one <laughs> shining force golem attack i'm more interested in shining force than i expected to be going forward. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, i gotta tell you yeah. And Graphic Zone, oh. your computer art. It's another computery yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, it'll all be CG now. The computers are more advanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's SDC 74, twenty. allegedly on sale Saturday, the 16th of March, 1996. I believe that closes the cover on another issue. Yeah. When you're looking for the next one, you'll be able to find it at stctp.wigglehe.com or it's available in most places where you can get podcasts regularly. That's right. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Sonic Podcast. Just Sonic Podcast. And you can follow... You ever stop and think sometimes <laughs> how ridiculous it is, is that we managed to get that? Sonic Podcast. And that having got that, more people haven't stumbled upon it. <laughs> there is... Yes, there's a slight huff to be had about that, you know. I feel like people should be typing that in more often. I know. 
And you can find us there separately. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely. And we're also both on YouTube under those names as well, doing our own stuff over there too. Mm-hmm. You can support us, and we need you to, because we've got to do all editing and stuff. You can do that over at the Patreon, and you will be rewarded if you so do. Uh, it is patreon.com forward slash stctp, of course it is. And the rewards are as follows. Um, you're going to get a couple of videos every month. One in which we trawl through the Martin Adams novels that were released concurrently with the first year of Sonic the Comic and were therefore some of the very first Sonic stories ever told. And surprise, surprise, they're actual novels. Like, actual novels. Yeah. We're currently on Sonic and the Silicon Warriors. We've done Sonic in Robotics Lab and the best one, Sonic in the Fourth Dimension. You can see us going through that and interviewing the author. Oh, yeah. All of that exclusively on our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash SCTV. Oh, wait, I nearly forgot the other thing that we do, which is... Mm, the... There's this other thing where this author appears on the videos <laughs> and subjects an audience of one to the content he created. <laughs> when I was a kid, around the time the current issues are coming out, I was writing Sonic fanfics in which I was killing Sonic off and doing ever such grown-up things. And I then rewrote them when I was 15 and put them up on the internet they seem to be gone from the internet so I'm putting them back in the form of reading them out loud to Chris and oh you should see him he crumples the last couple of episodes this is not a joke the blood draining from his face every episode we talk about how much worse it's getting this is not a bit this is a real cry for help (laughs) please save me monetarily I cannot last Without your support, yeah. every time you snap your fingers, a Chris McFeely dies. A little bit of him inside dies. <laughs> it's so bad, guys. If you support us enough, then we will reach the undisclosed amount Chris has to pay me to stop. <laughs> That's all on the uh, STCTP Patreon, patreon.com forward slash STCTP. Drop your pound coins in the slot and get some stuff. Our opening theme tune is called Synchronize. It's by a band called Sonic the Comic. Mm -hmm. But we are a podcast called Sonic the Comic. The The podcast. podcast. And we will see you (laughs) next next time. time.